What's up, Rob? Hey, not much. My fingers are sore. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what the reason could be. Maybe it's because a little video game just came out uh, last week. (laughs) Really? Which one? I haven't heard of anything. Usually the big games Uh, come out in November, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, I think there was a My Little Pony game that just recently Uh, came out, and it is excellent. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to say, Rob, I am a little depressed this week because... I got to sit through a whole year of the Red Sox being world champions. Like The one team out of all the playoff teams that made it, the one I didn't want to win the World Series won it all. And as a diehard Yankee fan, it's just torture. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even realize there was a World Series. I I watched the Tigers play their last game, and I shut off my TV. So I I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I did, too. (laughs) But the the American leaguer in me goes, yay, American League, we won. But it it wasn't the Yankees, and it wasn't the Tigers, and it wasn't the A's. But it hasn't been the A's for quite a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm of course I root for the American League during the All Star Game. But when it comes to playoffs, like World Series, I don't really base off. Oh, I'll just root for the American League team. It's just I pick a team who I like better at that particular moment, and that's who I root for. Actually, I I was kind of half rooting for Boston just to see, okay, they, they won it. They won it once. And maybe it was kind of like rooting against them. Like, there's no way they can win it again. And they, uh, they won it with style this time, so uh, I guess the curse is officially broken. Oh, yeah. I'd say that they won three in the last ten years. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Boston fans would never expected that to happen in a million years. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wonder if there was a Vegas pool. There's pools for everything. There's probably somebody in Vegas like, they're not going to win three, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Especially how they finished last year. Dead to last, they lost 90 games, and then it's a complete turnaround this year. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> a completely different team. I mean, just just m- mentally, you can just tell that even the beginning of the season, they were kind of pushing towards this mark. So, I mean... Kudos for them. I mean, they won. Yeah, you definitely got to give them credit. I mean, they put it together, a good group of guys who just connected together and uh, became a good team, really. And they just gelled from the pretty much since the beginning of the season to the playoffs. And then as much as it pains me as a Yankee fan, I, just, I guess I have to tip my cap to them. But yeah. I want it to be April already. <laughs> <laughs> right. Although, 
you know, Jim Leland decides, well, I've had enough. He's, you know, taken off his Tigers uniform for the last time, so now the Tigers are left without a, you know, a manager. So it'll be kind of interesting to see, you know, how soon they announce that or, you know, it'll, it'll probably be something as, I would probably think of the late winter before we get to uh, spring training, obviously, they'll probably announce somebody. Yeah. But, I'm sure that's priority number one on their list. <laughs> Any team without uh, a manager is like, we got to get that first. Yeah. But anyway, enough about me being depressed that the Red Sox won the World Series. <laughs> Time to get <laughs> cheered up talking some Batman. <laughs> that's right. So for this episode, of course, the big game that came out last week as we're recording this episode was Arkham Origins. And you and me, Rob, of course, got it. But um, before we start talking about Arkham Origins, um, for our future topic, I wanted to kind of have a discussion about some of our other favorite Batman games from over the years, and there's been plenty of them to talk about. Now, unfortunately, not all of them are good. <laughs> Before Arkham Asylum, Batman pretty much had the reputation of putting out awful video game after awful video games, but there was some good ones in there, going back to the old NES days, so thought that'd be for a, make for a fun discussion to talk about, just to hype up our semi-review of Arkham Origins. I want to go backwards. What was the last game before um, Arkham Origins? Was that in the animated, like, uh, Batman Vengeance? Or, no, uh, The Rise of Sinzu? Is that the last? I believe that was Rise of Sinzu. Okay. Because that and Batman Dark Tomorrow, they both came out in 03, but okay. I think a Rise of Sinsu was fall of 2003, and I'm pretty sure that was the last one. That buddy of mine, we were trying to, you know, figure out, you know, what the chronology of, you know, Batman games, and you mentioned Dark Tomorrow. <laughs> that game is so frustratingly yeah. bad. Um, oh, I watched... I'm sorry, you know what the last Batman video game was? was the Batman Begins one in 2005. Oh, that's right, that's right. I do have that. I have that yeah. on the uh, original Xbox. Same that, was a, that was a decent game. I kind of like that. Yeah, it wasn't like great or anything, but it wasn't bad. No. It, was just, it was decent, like you said. And what was cool well, about it, they got every actor from the movie to do the voices for it. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Usually with some of those, they have a... They may get, like... Um, uh, Scarecrow's name is escaping me. Julian Murphy, is that right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, I figure, okay, they'll get some of the B or C list cast, but, you know, to get Christian Bale, Morgan Freeman. The other cool thing I thought about it was that you could unlock other skins yeah. uh, for Batman, so I thought that was kind of a uh, a neat little touch and a, a foreshadow of, you know, skins and unlockables that were to come. Yeah, I remember going back to his classic comic book with the gray and black Right when I unlocked it after I beat the game and played through the first level again, just to see those cutscenes with him without a costume. <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing. <laughs> so, just to get it started, I guess, uh, for me, one of my favorite Batman games to this day, and it always will be, would be the NES uh, original Batman 1989 game. It was just called Batman, I believe. And that was pretty much the first Batman video game I ever played. And it didn't tie directly to the movie because it was... For an NES game, you couldn't really have a direct adaptation of it, besides a few levels. But I just remember that being the first Batman game I ever played, just being super excited to get it. I remember uh, going to get it. It was a Tuesday. <laughs> we drove up to the Toys R Us. I was not terribly far, but a distance. I was about five or six years old at the time. And I remember falling asleep on the way back. And then waking up, and my brother was already playing it. I was like, no, <laughs> you already started without me. <laughs> he was already at the second level. But um, 
that game was just the thing that's going to stand out the most to me about it is the soundtrack of that game. I love old 8-bit NES style music, and mm-hmm. that game I think has one of the best soundtracks out of all of them, especially the first level of the Gotham City Streets. Have you heard that one? Yes, yeah. Uh, I just love that song. <laughs> <laughs> just the, the that original NES version, then there's been some cover versions of it by some bands, and it always sounds awesome. I just love that thing. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I uh, geeked out probably six years ago. I found that somebody had, uh, you know, ripped the audio um, for all the music that was in there, and I made up a CD <laughs> that I was driving around in my car with this 8-bit Nintendo Batman yeah. <laughs> music, but it was just so cool. Yep. I have a whole playlist on my iPod of old NES games, and that Batman <laughs> one's the one I always go to the most, I think. <laughs> I think that's the highest play count when I look on iTunes. <laughs> Now, sadly, I have never played that game. Um, I didn't get a... Uh, the first Nintendo I ever had was a Super Nintendo, um, and friends that I had um, were either weren't into Batman or they just didn't get it for whatever reason. Um, I've seen more footage of it online, so I always kind of regret never being able to play that. Yeah, it was pretty fun. I mean, the gameplay on it was, of course, a side-scroller, but... Right away, you start off with a wide variety of weapons and gadgets that Batman has. So it's not like as you progress, you gain more. Right off the bat, you have all these cool weapons, like a batarang. For some reason, he has a gun, which was kind of weird, but <laughs> it wasn't a grapple gun. It actually shot out a bullet. Okay. And then I remember that right then. All right. Yeah. The one thing that really stood out to me when I first played it was I think that was the first game where it had it where he could uh, jump and bounce off from wall to wall. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like, oh, man, I never played a game like this. This thing just looked cool doing it. And there was only five levels in the game, but it was extremely hard. I mean, it would take hours just to make it to the fourth or fifth level. I mean, it was really hard. But they were fun, though. And they didn't have too many of the bosses from that featured comic villains. I remember the first villain was actually Killer Moth, who actually kind of looked more like Firefly to me in the game. <laughs> it was Killer Moth, and then I don't think I actually made it to the final boss, which you would think would be the Joker, but I'm not sure if it was. Because I remember seeing some screenshots where it didn't look like the Joker, just some other villain. But hmm. um, but the levels on it are really cool. Like I mentioned, the Gotham City streets with the awesome song, and then the next level was uh, Axis Chemicals Factory, where before there was actually a pretty cool cutscene for the time that shows the Batmil- Bat- Batmobile from 89, just driving up to it, and then you see its machine guns uh, shoot at the wall, cut a hole through it, and then drive in. I just remember seeing that, like, the closest thing I had to the movie at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. But, yeah, I'm always going to love that game, just for it being the first Batman game I ever played. It was actually fun. And then the music, like I said, it just really stood out to me at the time. And I think that that and a, bunch of, a few other NES games made me fall in love with the whole 8-bit NES style music <laughs> was that and some other ones, but yeah, that one's always going to be high up there for me. So, Batman '89 for the Nintendo is definitely I would put out up there as one of the better Batman games to come out. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, I don't know if it's a better game, but I'll go with my first Batman game was Batman Returns on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, that was a good one too. <laughs> and that one. Uh, what sounds like, unlike the 89 game, that it, it followed more closely to uh, the movie, where it actually, you know, I remember they had pixelated, you know, Michael Keaton, and it actually looked kind of like him, and um, 
if I remember, I spent a while. The uh, was a Batmobile kind of like car chase. I always thought was pretty cool. Um, there was just a, a lot going on with that game that I really liked, and I don't know if it's more of just the nostalgic feel of it that I finally have a Batman game that I can play. So that was always, you know, really pretty cool that that um, Batman Returns. So I still have all my old Batman games, and I'm looking at a stack of them right here. <laughs> nice that I have. Yeah, that game actually for the time the graphics on it were really good. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, if I remember right, I think that was one of the last few titles on the Super NES that was really pushing its uh, graphic uh, capability. Not in the sense that it was bogging down, but you could tell that they were trying to squeeze as much out of it as they you know, possibly could. Mm. Yeah, Have you played the game Final Fight before? Yes. Yeah, it's yep. pretty much exactly what the Batman Returns game was. And at the yeah. time, it was cool because I loved Final Fight and when you put Batman in it, it just makes it even better. I just love those brawler-type games. I just always think it was cool. Like, you had this move where you can grab them, and you could just, like, punch it. Like, you punch it, like, three times, and if you wanted to, you could just throw one of those clowns up against a brick wall or something, and they'd leave a dent in there. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the sound effects, too, on how you could really hear the punch sound on that. (laughs) Yeah, that, and when they're going into walls or trash cans, you'd kind of get this, you know. Yeah sound effect. Like you said, you'd see you know, a can dented or the brick wall broken or something like that. Like, yeah, I'm doing some damage. <laughs> the only downside to the Batman Returns game from Final Fight was that it was only single player. Of course, there was yeah. maybe you could have put Catwoman in there, but I guess you wanted to keep her as a boss fight for certain levels. So, I mean, like, who else are you going to put in there to fight along Batman for the game if you're really following the movie? But it was a fun single player game, but it could have been better with two players. And that's that's been a gripe, I think, for a lot of people. Um, since you mentioned, you know, good, we'll mention a bad <laughs> Batman game. I, I think the game progressively got better, but it, this game was released four times, and that was Batman Forever. Duh. And I, <laughs> oh, I played like, that once. Oh man! Wait, wait for it. I bought it four times for four systems. Wow. <laughs> okay, I know it came out on the Super Nintendo and the Genesis, but what were the other two? Uh, Sega Saturn and the um, maybe maybe it was only three. Okay, yeah, because those had to be the three. Okay, yeah, that's that's right. The Genesis. Nintendo, and then the Saturn. I don't know why I was thinking PlayStation, but that wasn't out yet. Because I know PlayStation had Batman and Robin. Right. Which I never played, thank goodness, because I can't imagine that was good. I also have that one sitting <laughs> in front of me. <laughs> just the box art for that one. Just a close-up of Clooney, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And that, and that was a game I was trying so hard to beat just to say that I beat it, and I got to a certain spot, and I just got so frustrated with this game. But I was going to mention... Uh, going back to Batman Forever, that it was okay, but at least you could be Batman and Robin at the same time and two people could play this train wreck of a game. (laughs) But wasn't it like, the graphics are weird, because wasn't it that style where they used real actors? Yeah. They just put their few animations that they recorded into the game to try to make it look realistic, and it just ended up looking horrible. Yeah, it, it looked real, like a stop motion like a poor stop motion animation that you would get kind of, you know, some decent moves, but every kick is exactly the same and it's really stiff. And a big frustrating problem with that game is that when you'd have to grapple up or grapple down, 
there's no indicator. You've got to be at the specific place. At, like, um, if you're a millimeter to the left or right, you can't grapple anywhere in the game. I like we spent 25 minutes just trying to find the right spot just to grapple up to the top. Oh, man. And the, the friend of mine, he and I were playing, he's like, we're going to finish this stupid game if it kills us. And I'm like, at the rate we're going, we're going to die before we finish this game. But we did finish it. So. Wow, so you persevered and made it do the whole thing? Three times. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and what made you get it for the other systems if, well, if you beat it before? Uh, I had a Super Nintendo. He had a Genesis. So we thought it would be kind of cool. He wanted to get one, and I wanted to get one. So we thought, well, I can play a game on my own, and then you can play one so we weren't having to like share or go to each other's house. So we each had one on our own system. So that was kind of cool that we could go back and we could say, hey, I'm I'm stuck. How far are you? He's like, oh, you could go over here and do such and such. So the mechanics, you know, were working the same, just different controllers and stuff. But I had read, I'm don't, not sure what video game magazine that it was, but it was supposed to be the all-new Batman Forever, you know, new graphic engine. The Saturn was supposed to be able to do so much more. So that was actually the selling point of the Sega Saturn for me <laughs> was just that game. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I thought, well, maybe some of the things that were frustrating they will have improved on. Nah. <laughs> the resolution was just better. That was about it. So uh, I ended up selling the Saturn about six months later. I kept the game just because I thought I'm going to keep all my Batman stuff. So, Well, at least you still have something to remember about you, even if it's a painful memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But going back to some good Batman games, another really good one was uh, Batman the Animated Series game for the Super Nintendo. That probably was my second favorite after the NES one, just because oh, yeah. they did such an awesome job adapting certain episodes of the series. And the graphics for the time were really good, too. They still hold up pretty good to this day, I have to say. I mean, even down to the title cards for the beginning of each level, which I thought yep. was really cool. They did a great job. and I mean, they did adaptions of... Uh, the first level was a Joker one, and they did... It was mainly the episode uh, to be a clown, where you have the fight on Joker on the roller coaster ride, yep. which is really cool. They actually combined elements with Christmas with the Joker with some of the giant uh, toy soldiers. Then they had the... But my favorite level was probably the Riddler one. If you're so smart, why aren't you rich? And you actually <laughs> have to play through the Minotaur maze. I yep. thought that was awesome. They even had the same riddles and puzzles that you had to solve from the animated series. Maybe it made it a little easier, but I just like that they stuck to it so closely. They just did a good job on it. Uh, this is another game I'm currently holding in my hands. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the uh, uh, box art. It says, now there is the Batman, uh, the adventures of Batman and Robin. What's the difference, you ask? Precisely, Batman battles through eight of the toughest levels of villainy to hit your TV screen. You'll be dazzled by the animation style graphics. You'll be awed by the sound and the stirring musical score. You'll swear you're watching a hit animated series, except for one tiny detail. You control the action. That's a little <laughs> excerpt from the uh, back of it. I've recently uh, played that, doing a uh, review on my review channel, and played through a couple levels. And I uh, had mentioned a couple times of how fun the game was, even you know, all this time later. The game still kind of holds up, and yeah, it just kind of has that refreshing. One of the first times where you could, you know, watch a show or a movie and then the game actually really kind of represents exactly what it is. 
So I kind of half wonder if um, they didn't have a strong hand in the development of this game. Because a lot of the characters, and even just the, the backgrounds are yeah. colored, I mean, just almost exactly. Like you said, um, there's a little picture down here in the bottom of Batman swinging into a blimp. And I think part of that is from the uh, Man Bat uh, episode, uh, Terror, what, Terror in the Sky. Is that Actually, right? if I remember right, I think it was the Scarecrow one. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was a cool level, too. Yeah, I'm trying to think of all the levels now. You said they were on the box it says eight, right? Yeah. If I remember correctly, the first one's Joker. Then you got there's one with Poison Ivy and the Scarecrow. Then there was one where you go up against the Penguin. And I remember that's the only level where there's Robin. Like you're in this hotel building and you go up these different levels and you bump into Robin. Yeah. Certain levels. Is that one? Then there is. Uh, well, I can tell them to you right here. I'm looking at the strategy guide. Hold on, I want to see if I can guess it. <laughs> okay, all right, go ahead. So I got four. Okay. Got Joker, Poison Ivy, Scarecrow, Penguin. Then there was the Riddler one. Right. See, this is where I found a blank. I know the last level is kind of where all the villains come together, and there's certain portions where you fight some villains that you already fought, and then you fight Man Bat. And the last one is Joker on the jetpack from the Phantasm. Right. But the two levels before had so that's what I'm blanking on. Okay, right, I'll just go you, ahead and tell me those. <laughs> I'll give you the title: Trouble and Transit. Does that ring a bell? Oh, is there a two-faced one? Yes. Okay, that's right. That is the two-faced driving one. Yeah, that's right. There was that driving level. Man, I totally forgot about that, but now it's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so you're down one. You've uh, what's the other female oh, in the video game? One. There you go. <laughs> okay. And I like the. Um, Levels, uh, Amused to Death, the Stage 1, that'd be the Joker. Uh, no Green Peace, Poison Ivy. Foul Play is the Penguin, with uh, Robin in it. Tale of the Cat, Trouble, Trouble in Transit, and Perchance to Scream, Riddle Me This, and The Gauntlet, which would be all of them. Yeah. yeah see, that's, that was so cool about that game. They didn't <laughs> directly take the titles from the episode, but they kind of switched them up a bit, but used some of the similar title cards. Yeah. I want to go play it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for the Bat Fans Without Pants podcast. Uh, I'm going to not play Arkham Origins and play uh, the Super NES Adventures of Batman and Robin. Yeah. See, you guys, you can hear our review of that <laughs> game instead of Arkham Origins. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have the companion Sega Genesis uh, version of that game that's yeah. a, a two-player of Batman and Robin. It's more of a... Oh, what's on? Trying to remember like, about that game. Like I said, it's called because I didn't play. I didn't finish that one, but from where I play with it, I just remember a, a Batman and Robin shooting a lot of batarangs at their enemies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of like a, a Contra type yeah. type of feel to it. Yeah, and that was one that uh, a buddy of mine had. He had the Genesis, so he picked that one up, and it was the cover arts were pretty close to the same. I mean, a little bit different. So at first we thought, well, we both got the same game, and when he called and was talking to me about it, I'm like, I don't have that. So I went over to his house, and it was a completely different game, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, during that time, during the Sega Genesis Super Nintendo era, that was kind of a choice you had to make if you had both systems, but you can only get one game. Because a lot of times, even though the game, same game would be on the two systems, they'd be totally different games. Oh, but yeah. Kind of like you said for the Batman Forever one, that was kind of the rare case where it was the same. But, yeah, like you said the Batman and Robin animated series one, those are totally different. 
Yeah. Uh, another game uh, that I like, uh, stay, staking, staying with the animated series, is Batman Vengeance for the PlayStation 2. Yeah. Um, I love this game. Uh, this might actually be um, my favorite of some of the older games. Uh, Rise of Sinzu is kind of right up there, but this one's really good. Uh, all the things that I liked about uh, the adventures of Batman and Robin on Super NES, this just took it to another level where you had, you know, actual voice actors uh, in this, and the animation was really, really good, but it took itself more of the uh, final season of the animated series. And uh, some touch marks of uh, the Arkham series where Batman can kind of glide and fly for, you know, short little distances. So that was, you know, kind of cool to uh, get to do some of that type of stuff. And a little bit of detective things, but the stories were done really well. And it told one linear story. You had little vignettes of every uh, villain, but you had this big payout that tied everything all together. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I remember being super excited for that game. First off, because I was pretty early in the PS2's life cycle. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're getting the bat- new Batman game on a new system as powerful as the PS2 was at the time, I was like, oh, man, it's going to be awesome. Plus, based on the animated series with Kevin Conway and Mark Hamill, like, man, I was, like, super excited for that game. And for the most part, like I said, it was really good. There are certain things in there that I didn't like. One thing, when you fight the enemies, I didn't like that you had to handcuff them all the time so they wouldn't get back up and bother you again. <laughs> yeah, and that's a uh, a lesson you have to learn right away. It's like, all right, I beat them, and then you get hit again. You're like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got to handcuff them. Yeah, well, the story on it was pretty cool, too, dealing with the Joker. And then I think there's even a sequence, too, that kind of predated the Arkham City sequence where you're actually uh, Bruce Wayne kind of disguised. I can't remember if he was actually Matches Malone, but he was kind of undercover. You had to do one level where you're just playing as Bruce Wayne before he got suited up as Batman, which I thought yeah. was pretty cool. But then, like you said, too, the sequels to that, uh, Rise of Sinsu, I think it came out two years after that in 03. I think that game's pretty underrated because that kind of went back to the old like, Batman Returns style where it's just a brawler. But yeah. the best part of it is when it's co-op, and you get to choose between Batman, Robin, Nightwing, or Batgirl, all from the animated series, which is really cool. Now, it had a cool progression where you kind of level up, upgrade new combo moves for the characters. And I really like the boss fights, too, in that game. I know Clayface, that one sticks out as being one of the more fun boss battles in the game, but I really yeah. make a big deal about Sin Tzu being like, oh, this is the first time a new Batman villain is making his first appearance in a video game. But that was like his only appearance, because I don't think he ever showed up in any comics. No, and there is a behind-the-scenes of uh, the making of the game where they're talking to Jim Lee, designing it. He's, yeah. you kind of, you kind of tell he's a little bit of, you know, passionate about it and then thinking, oh, wow, he's going to be in the comics and uh, never was. But that Sin Tzu fight is just not, I would say horrible, is really, really hard. You know, all the other boss fights up to that point are, you know, they're, they're difficult, but you know, there's a, you can figure the pattern out. But with Sinzu, you know, zigzagging back and forth and just like yeah. doing a Liu Kang on you <laughs> <laughs> constantly, it was really frustrating. Yeah, I remember not beating that on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think that that particular fight at least took me almost a full month to wow. beat. <laughs> where I, I would get to a point where I thought I had it figured out and then 
I don't know if it, the fight just went on too long that my hands started getting tired and, you know, so I, I know once I beat it, I was like, oh, thank God, I'm never going to play this game again. <laughs> and about two or three years ago, I decided, hey, I'm going to go back through it. And uh, it was kind of funny. My wife's like, well, is this a two-player game? So she was actually, you know, playing it along with me. So that that was kind of fun. The first time um, that I had ever played that game with somebody uh in a two-player mode, I'd always played it as a single player, and some of the boss fights were a heck of a lot easier with two people. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish a game like that would have come out on this generation of consoles because um, it wasn't four-player. I don't, I don't believe it was four-player. I just do. No, just so I just wish, uh, How cool would have been to play all four characters online too? Oh yeah, but um, yeah. So I think Sinsu was probably the last. Uh, well, we talked about Batman Begins. That one was pretty good. Probably. Batman Games was the last good Batman game to come out before the Arkham games in 2009. And mm-hmm. I remember when Arkham Asylum was announced, I was like, eh, okay, cool Batman game. We'll see how it is. Batman had the best track record recently with some games. So I wasn't expecting too much from it. But then when I heard uh, ooh, Kevin Conroy's doing the voice of Mark Hamill, I should keep my eye on it. The graphics did look good. I was like, eh, it's going to look good, but it's probably going to play terrible. <laughs> then I've been hearing some good buzz on it. It's like, okay, maybe this is something to start getting excited about. But I played the demo and go, man, this is actually pretty good. Like, looking, like really looking forward to when it comes out. But then when the reviews started coming in, I'm seeing like 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10, 5 out of 5s everywhere. I was like, wow, I never thought I'd see a Batman game score that high. <laughs> I was like, man, this has got to be something special. And it sure was. <laughs> now, that was a, a time where um, like the PlayStation 3 had – I'm. I'm not sure where in its cycle. Um, it was like Arca- three years since the PS3 okay. came out. Yeah. So I've only had my PS3 um, since Arkham City came out. Arkham City came out in October, what, of 11? Is that yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't actually get my PS3 till my birthday of uh, February um, 2012. So I've only had it a short time. I remember, you know, saying something to my wife, and the PS3 was, you know, still kind of expensive back then. It was kind of like, well, I don't know if we have that much money to go spend on a video game system. So I didn't get to play Arkham Asylum until I had already played Arkham City. But I remember looking at stuff online. I had the same impressions that you did. If I remember, I don't know if it was like MTV or something like that. I saw one of the first trailers, and I thought, well, the graphics look good, but... I've got a lot of video games where the, you know, cutscenes look really good, but yeah. the game the gameplay is horrible. Uh, Dark Tomorrow is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being super excited for that game. That's why I kind of oh. kept my expectations to check for Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Um, but I had a, uh, the same friend that he and I were playing these games with. He had had a PlayStation for a while, and he was saying, man, this... The morgue. The morgue is just really creepy and the yeah. scarecrow. I remember thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, well, go online and look at some footage. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe. I'm like, is this is this a cut scene, right? He's like, no, this is the actual video game that's being played. It was just blown away by with what Rocksteady had done. And I'm like, Rocksteady, who the heck are these guys? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like I said, so many surprises in that game, whereas stuff you weren't expecting, the Scarecrow missions, like you just mentioned, the Morgue sequence, and then this, the final sequence with the Scarecrow where it kind of resets the game, you're thinking, oh man, what happened? Did my game shut off and reset? But then it starts off where it's the Joker driving the Batmobile and Batman, <laughs> and like, oh man, <laughs> I just love all that stuff. So many surprises that 
you were everything you were hoping for in a Batman game on the, those current systems at the time, it delivered on it. Great boss battles, the graphics were awesome, the free flow combat, man. That's the pretty much the perfect battle uh, gameplay mechanics for a Batman game you could possibly have. Just makes you really feel like you're Batman who's a fighter who can't be beat, and it just really captured what Batman should be in a game. Then the, the detective mode, the predator mode, just really captures the essence of you actually being Batman the closest way you're probably ever going to get. It's so immersive, too. And, of course, having Kevin Conway and Mark Hamill do the voices, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> hear it at all, either. It just, no, not, not at all. It. So, it, yeah, man. Geez, I just remember when I got Arkham Asylum, but just hard to put it down <laughs> late at night the first night I got it, knowing I had to get up for early for work the next day. <laughs> I, just, I beat that game pretty fairly quickly, too. Quick, more quicker than I usually do certain games. And it's not that short. No. And, like I said, I had got Arkham City. I actually pre-ordered Arkham City, and my wife's like, why are you getting Arkham City? We don't have a PlayStation 3. I'm like, if I buy this game, we're going to have to get the system. And, of course, it had come down to, like, the two ninety nine price. So I had got that game and the system for my birthday, and uh, my wife's like, well, you're going to need another game. So I had Asylum at the same time I had Arkham City. And I'm like, I could start with Arkham Asylum first, but I felt I'd already, you know, kind of seen enough of the uh, YouTube stuff, thinking, well, I'm probably not going to ever get to play the game. So I thought, well, I already know how that ends. So, But there was a part of me that did want to have that experience of just playing uh, that first uh Arkham Asylum and going right into City, but I went to City then Asylum. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. <laughs> I have to go in order. <laughs> but the one thing I really liked about, excuse me, Asylum was that when you're in one of your first Predator modes, you're being up on top of those gargoyles. It was kind of like, how, how am I going to go about doing this? You know, thinking, oh, I'm Batman. I'm going to, you know, zip down to the bottom. You end up getting shot in the head or whatever. You're like, I got to approach taking these guys out, it's not your typical, you know, Batman game where you can just kind of run amok and start punching people. You've got to really start thinking how you're going to, you know, go after the individual guys that you're trying to track down. And you've got guys that can, you know, look up at the gargoyles and they can, you know, scan the gargoyle and see up there. So it just, every time you would go through a different level, you would peel back another layer of the game and just see how dense this game really is. And um, I that game just set the bar for everything else around it. I think a lot of video game companies just went, what just happened? So yeah. I, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really came out of nowhere, too. It's like, because no, I think everyone had the same feeling that I had where, oh, it's a superhero game that aren't usually good, and Batman hasn't had the best track record, and then boom, you play it, and it's just an amazing experience. And there's p- reviews and uh, gamers kept saying how this isn't just a great Batman video game, it's just like one of the best video games of the year. So it's cool that finally a Batman game is good enough to get that praise. It's kind of like the Nolan movies of video games <laughs> where it brought Batman back to some respects in the video game front. Well, not only that, but it it gave people that may have been, you know, I wouldn't say non-Batman fans or kind of dismiss, you know, superhero-type games like, oh, those games don't ever do anything. We, yeah. I think we've talked about the Superman 64 game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to mention that. But you could watch that game just as 
a novice and just watch it for the story and the cutscenes that the cutscenes weren't cheesy, that there was actual very well-written dialogue by Paul Dini, and the story just flowed so well that I was I was riveted to everything that was being said, and I was kind of like, not nitpicking, but listening to everything that Batman was saying, or listening to whatever the Joker was saying, like, what, what is he telling me, you know, what, what do I need to go do, so... It, it really kept you focused and invested in the game all the way through rather than, okay, there's a cutscene going, I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm going to go get something to drink, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it also was really cool. I love those audio recordings that they have the, of the Arkham Inmates sessions with their like, psychiatrist. Some of those are pretty creepy, too. It just had that feel of that you're really listening to a mental like, patient kind of who's a criminal just t- telling the psychiatrist or whatever stuff that you probably wouldn't want to hear, but it, it just re- felt really real. It was just really cool. And I liked the sound of it. Like, it sounded like it was a tape recorder in yeah. the middle. It wasn't clear. It was kind of crackly. And uh, sometimes you couldn't quite make out everything. Like, what What did he just say? So you'd play a tape back again. You're like, oh, my gosh, you know. Yeah, they just went above and beyond Rock City too with that game. <laughs> Did oh sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was, I was just gonna say it definitely showed like the love and care that they had. and wanted to make the best Batman video game ever at that point. When you were going through the game and you were collecting all of the uh, uh, Jeremiah was it Jeremiah Arkham little like uh, spider yeah uh, headstones? Did you did you figure out the reveal of that before you got it, or were you kind of surprised that it was? Quincy Sharp by the end. No, yeah. I was kind of took me by surprise after when I got the last one. <laughs> I'm like, oh, even because I got him after I beat the game. It's like, this game is still providing twists even after I beat it, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's a sign of a game, a really good game, especially with some of the Arkham games. You can kind of go through the story, I would say, relatively at a good clip of a pace, but then you've got all the side missions and, you know, Riddler trophies and all that other stuff, so it's not like, well, I beat the game in, you know, a week and I'm done. I just spent $60. It's like, okay, I beat the main story and I'm only at 40% or I'm only at 22%. So that means I have a long way to go before I really complete this game. So I really feel with the Arkham series that you're you're getting the bang for your buck all the way around. Oh, yeah, without question. <laughs> I mean, some of those side quests, all the side quests can probably be its own game if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, but like I said, it really makes it worth your money. But, um, yeah, I guess that can nicely lead us into our semi-Arkham Origins review. But we should say you and I haven't beaten the game yet, so we won't be spoiling the ending, but I think we're fairly close. But I guess we should give a little spoiler warning. Bro. We're not going to talk too much about certain details of the story, but we might talk about certain things maybe that if you haven't made it to that point yet, you might not want to hear it. Just throwing it out there. But yeah. overall, Rob, when you got it, you popped it in for the first time, what was your overall impression? Oh, but first off, you got to tell a story of you going to get <laughs> Arkham <laughs> City the, or Arkham Origins, the collective edition, because previously you told us about a bad pre-order experience you had at Walmart, but I think you had another bad one at Best Buy. For this oh, one. Yeah. Uh, I had decided with having my uh, review channel, you can uh, look me up uh, on YouTube under Rob's Rogues, I decided that I was going to mount my video camera inside the car and drive to Best Buy. 
Um, I thought, this is going to be stupid. So I, I ended up kind of just talking about collecting action figures on the way there, thinking I'm just going to go into the store, I'm going to pick up the game, drive back, talk for a couple minutes, and then we'll open the box and look at it. Little did I know <laughs> that I would go in and you know, go to Best Buy, and the Best Buy exclusive was to get the Robin uh, Tim Drake DLC skin for the online, and then you would get the... Uh, Collector's Edition, uh, like the steel case. I also bought the uh, Collector's Edition. This is the first time I ever bought a Collector's Edition for anything, and I had to say a lot of wonderful, nice things to my wife, like, I love you, and you're the best person ever in the world, so <laughs> I probably won't ever spend that kind of money on a video game again, but a lot of cool stuff. So um, going to Best Buy, um, I am right there when the store opens. I think I'm like the third person Inside, there's really no line there, which I was kind of disappointed for. I knew that Best Buy was selling a lot of the pre-orders, so I was kind of hoping that there would be people there. But um, well, Did yours do a midnight? Because a lot of them were doing midnight. Really no. Uh, Best Buy, I think, almost as a whole entire chain. There were some, like, like New York's and California's, and some of the bigger market did do a midnight release, but I think... The way I understood it, most Best Buys weren't. They were just going to uh, open their doors at 10 a.m. or whenever, you know, the stores open, and that's when you can get it. So that's what mine did. Uh, this 10 o'clock went in, um, had my, you know, receipt uh, for the pre-order. I said, oh, Rob Meyer, blah, 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 picking up the collection edition. She brought it out to me and started ringing it up. And I was like, oh, I said, Where's the, you know, I said, are, are, is the skin code in here for Robin? She's like, oh, yeah, everything's in there. I said, and the steel case, too? She's like, oh, yeah, that, that's all inside. I'm like, I, I don't think that's how that's supposed to work, because normally um, I've seen them, like, uh, when the, uh, Quano Solace uh, was out for James Bond, they had a steel case version. You could go in and pre-order, and the day that you pre-order, they hand you, like, the actual steel case for your game, or that they would uh, have them behind the counter to hand you. So I said, I think you're actually supposed to give me the case. She's like, no, no, it's it's all in there. So I, I'm not <laughs> believing her. She's like, well, we can open it up. So she proceeds to, like, tear into my box, <laughs> starts getting scissors and starts cutting oh. things. I'm like, just, <laughs> ju just relax here. So she just cut the tape, and there's, like, a little flap. She was wanting to pull that real hard, so I had to kind of stop her. And I start taking it out. Well, everything's all in this nice big styrofoam. And she proceeds to just, like, start hacking away at the styrofoam and the tape. Um, you know, not knowing what's inside of it. I'm thinking, great, she's going to run a scissor through the statue and the book and everything. So we take apart the contents of the whole entire box. And we're looking at everything. And the Robin code isn't there. And neither is a steel case. And she goes, huh, I get <laughs> I guess it's not in here. I'm like, I told you that. So she proceeds to finish ringing me up. My phone goes off, and my code for Robin is in the phone, or is in, you know, my email. She's like, oh, I guess they're emailing that to you. Really? Well, that would be nice to know. The code I got, when I got it, was on the receipt that printed out after I bought it. I didn't get any email for the code. Yeah, it, I weird. guess it, it depends on store to store. So we actually rang it up twice. Because um, I had forgot to print out my Best Buy reward zone, I had like I had like five dollars yeah. 
certificate, so I had to, like, release that. So they had to cancel out the order. So after she was done, my phone went off twice, and I had two codes for Robin, but the first code was uh, voided out because uh, I got the second one. So the steel case is still not there. They talked to a manager, and the manager's like, no, that's only if you just buy the regular, the standard version of the game. Since you got the collector's edition, you got all this other stuff, you don't get the steel case. And I'm like, your signs clearly say you get these two things. And I didn't bring the little card with me because I didn't think I would have to be smarter than the people that work at Best Buy, but apparently I did. <laughs> so they go to the back and um, come back with one. She's like, well, since you were asking for it, we're really not supposed to give this to you, but, you know, here you go. Meanwhile... Three other people have checked out with their pre-orders, and they didn't buy the collector's edition. They just bought the standard version. They didn't get the steel case. So I said, uh, those two people that just walked out, they bought the standard edition, like you said. They didn't get the steel case, and they went, oh. So, yeah, I was a little, <laughs> I was a little miffed the way uh, my particular Best Buy has done that. They have, it was just like somebody ringing me up, just whoever this girl was. Yeah. And uh, one of the Geek Squad guys, where they were trying to figure all this out, says, we have a gaming department. He's like, they should be the ones that are actually up here. Cause he, he's like, that's what she's doing. She's going back to the people that work in the games, and they're telling her, you know, oh, it's this, it's that, this is what you need to do. So um, I actually end up calling uh, Best Buy's, like, customer service center, and they kind of apologized for the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, yes, you are correct. Anybody that pre-ordered was is definitely supposed to get those two pre-order things. So they had called the store back, and they sent emails out to everybody uh, that had pre-ordered the game, telling them, hey, if you didn't get your steel case, make sure you go back to the store to pick it up. So. Yeah, see, look what you've done, Rob. You helped tons of other people who didn't get it. <laughs> really fighting <laughs> for justice. <laughs> That's right. But it's funny, I watched some of the video you put up in your reaction when you came back in your car with your George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> like, Rob's getting upset. <laughs> so. But I think it's safe to say when you got home and popped in the game, it was a much better experience. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And that, and I had also uh, pre-ordered the uh, Mattel Deathstroke figure, so I got that the exact same day as the video game, so that's kind of cool. He's standing up looking at me really creepy with his one eye right now. But <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, well, once I uh, got the game in, I was uh, I was feeling much better. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, let's talk about that, just that opening sequence. I mean, when I saw it, I was like, man, how cool would that be for an opening of a new Batman movie? Just You're just seeing that bat and it cuts to other scenes kind of telling you the story of the game. But then it keeps going back to that bat till it actually, the light shines, it spreads its wing, and then you see the bat wing come in. I thought that was one of the coolest openings. I just loved how that uh, started. That, I think I had, uh, yeah, I did record uh, my first initial reactions to that opening scene. I think I'm just staring at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> mouth wide open. <laughs> mouth wide open. I think I might have been drooling a little bit. But like you said, seeing the Batwing come in, uh, I half wonder if that was like a tip to the hat to uh, the Nolan films a little bit with having like the bat come in under the waterfall or even the tumbler kind of come in. And that was just really, really cool. And then to get to see Alfred for the first time in the uh, 
Arkham series and uh, this big sprawling bat cave. I just, I was <laughs> still speechless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just going into it. I mean, you start off with a with a breakout. I think it's in a, was it Blackgate? Blackgate, yeah. Okay, yeah. So you're you're in there, and then your first boss battle is, I mean, you'd feel right at home if you played the other two Arkham games. They didn't, remember we were talking about how if they screwed up what Rocksteady already <laughs> built with their did they'd be the worst developers ever, but no, yeah. they kept it pretty much the same, and it's still as tight as ever. Now, you have this on Xbox, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, um, I have it on PlayStation. Did they flip your controls for Detective Mode and Batarang? No, those are still the same. Okay. Uh, for the PlayStation, they inverted our buttons. Hmm. So the buttons... That, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the things that's going through the uh, uh, message boards, at least on the Arkham Origins uh, forum site, is why they flipped it, and people are asking for a patch to put that so it's like Asylum and um, Arkham City. Because that, that's really weird, because I'm... I'm trying to remember if it's L1 or L2, whatever it is, I'm constantly, like, in the middle of wanting to, you know, throw batarangs at people, and I turn my detective vision on. So I I know it's going to be a trip if I decide to go back and play one of the other ones. I'm going to get used to how Arkham Origins... Oranges. <laughs> Origins. <laughs> That's the next is. game. <laughs> yeah, Arkham Tangerines <laughs> is. <laughs> and... uh so yeah, that's I, I don't know why they made that choice. Every all the other buttons are the same, but all of your, um, you know, right left trigger buttons those are inverted. That's really kind of weird. Yeah, I wonder why they decided to do that just for the PS3. But yeah, so anyway, I didn't mean to stop your thing. Right. I just was curious. <laughs> yeah, because I just felt right at home when I played it. Like I felt the same as I used that I was used to for the other games. So, but I guess going into it after I. That whole, like, pretty much prologue sequence where you have a really cool boss fight with Killer Croc. Um, there's probably my one complaint about the game as I got into Gotham in the open world environment. It just felt a little too familiar to me in certain aspects. You're seeing some things that you saw in Arkham City. Granted, it's not run down and it looks nice as uh, it's not part of a closed-out section of Gotham just yet, but going through certain areas, like, oh, this is a little familiar, this is a little familiar. And then the thing... That this, I guess that kind of made me wish for something to have a little more variety or different was the whole thing with the Riddler again. I know how they want to have more side quests to keep you busy, but just to have it be the Riddler again, that was kind of, uh, I don't know about this. It's kind of just going going to the well of the Riddler, I guess, too much to have it be the main focus of this main side quest of the game. And you kind of have to find all those puzzles. Granted, they're not uh, question marks just yet, but it's generally the same thing where you got to find these different uh, case files, I think they're called, right. throughout the city. So then also, too, where you have to close down these towers or shut down these towers to kind of open up the fast travel and the bat wing. But to me, it just felt like, yeah, they could have done something else, maybe than just the Riddler again. But, yeah, just uh, I was kind of thinking, oh, before the game came out, Anarchy might fill that void as the new main side quest. But it just does uh, this with one section of a, one small side quest that you do pretty early in the game, and then it's just the Riddler. That's probably my one complaint of the game. Certain things felt a little too familiar where I kind of wish they just uh, have it changed up a little bit so you don't get that same feeling, oh, I've done this before already, it's just time to do it again because it's a new game. So I don't know if you felt that way, but that's probably just my one complaint about Arkham Origins. Does that 
too much familiarity, uh, familiarity in certain areas. Now, I, I did like some of that. I liked being able to go around to the, where the museum was and the courthouse, that those certain things I did like. So if I knew I had to go to a certain spot, I was like, oh, okay, that's over here to the left. But they have taken some liberties in that. Some buildings that were in city aren't in origins at all, or there's radio towers where some buildings were. So um, some of the layout's a little different, but you could be in the Bowery and, you know, walking around underneath, and it's kind of, uh, almost, like I said, almost exactly the same. It does feel familiar and different. Um, I did like I, I did like a little bit of that. Um, they were really kind of tight-lipped with uh, the Riddler's... Um, association in the game. I kind of had the same feeling you did that I thought Anarchy was going to kind of be the Riddler-esque type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just about Anarchy, trying to find all of his symbols has been really difficult. Uh, something in the uh, collector's edition that they include is a map of approximate locations of Anarchy's uh, symbols all over the place. Um, you kind of have a uh, a map that's black on black and it glows in the dark um, but you don't necessarily have to be in the dark to read it because it's kind of like iridescent a little bit but it doesn't necessarily point to one specific spot and say it's right here it kind of just puts like a big anarchy A in a general vicinity so you still have to kind of look I can narrow it down between you know three or four buildings as opposed to just aimlessly wandering around. So I don't know if you've done a lot of the anarchy stuff yet. No, I just completed his main side quest mission where you take him down. But I just found my first anarchy tag on a building not too long ago. Oh, it's my first one. I'll have to get to these eventually. (laughs) Yeah. And some of them are hidden really pretty good. Make sure you look under bridges and, you know, things like that. But yeah, the, uh, the Riddler, I'm, I'm kind of so, so with it. Um, I mean, I do kind of like it. They kept saying, you know, this is, you know, the origins of like, his first meetings with, you know, this person and that person. So once we kind of got to see, you know, Edward Ningba for the first time, it was like, oh, okay. And you, you kind of pick that up right away as you start getting into the open world. You see all the green discs all over the place. So right away you're like, okay, the Riddler definitely is in this video game. So... I remember some of the puzzles being really hard <laughs> in Arkham City, so I'm, I've already kind of stumbled on a couple of those tonight that I'm like, I have no idea how to do this, so I don't have the strategy guide yet, and I'm trying really hard to not go online to figure stuff out, but I'm really tempted with a couple of them. Yeah, because that's where I kind of have to knock it a little bit, because when I saw the Riddlers again, he has all these things you have to close. I thought to myself, you know what, I really don't want to do this for the third time in a game. I did it twice, collected all of them for Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. It'd be nice to have some, something different, but it's kind of as you go more through the game and you're collecting some just by chance, you kind of want to go, eh, I'll just, when I beat the game, just go back and try to get them all again. <laughs> right. Um, now, I'm going to try, uh, one of the main villains, I was really happy that he kind of got pushed to the front, was Black Mask. Uh, we're getting a, a lot of, you know, Black Mask has the contracts out, and that was something else that was in the collector's edition, was the dossier of all of the main assassins. Um, something does happen, or try to not spoil anything for anybody, but there's a reveal with the Black Mask character that I was a little disappointed with. Did you... 
have a little the same disappointment that I did with it? Um, kind of and kind of not because I know what you're saying because they kind of built Black Mass up right. a lot. And then with what happens, it's really not the case. But I have to say I was pretty happy with the twist they do in it. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was pretty cool. And that's what I'm really loving about this game. It's just the story and the cutscenes that it has. I mean, you pretty much know what you're going to get with the combat. And that's just right. as good as it was in the other two. But I was really hoping for a good story. This is a great Batman story in this game. And even though I haven't beat it yet, what I've played so far, it's really delivering. Especially in this middle sequence of the game, I think it's some of the best stuff out of all three games. When you get to a certain point with the Joker and Bane, just some awesome cutscenes. And I'm just going to say it right now. You know how much I love Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, but... I when, wanted to ask. Yeah. I, I, I want to hear you say this. <laughs> Troy Baker, I know, does a Joker, and I did this on the last episode. I'm forgetting the guy who does Batman's voice. Uh, Roger Craig Smith. Okay, yeah. Those two guys, they're knocking out of the park with this game. I mean, no one's going to replace Conroy and Hamill for me. They're always going to be number one. But these two guys are doing a phenomenal job in this game, especially Troy Baker as the Joker. I mean, certain uh, lines of dialogue, it sounds just like Mark Hamill. Even when it doesn't sound just like him, it just has a great performance. And then with Batman, right when I first started, I saw the first sequence, and he's talking. He's like, "Yeah, I wish this was Kevin Conroy. It's just not the same. But then when you get to the meat of the story and the cutscenes, he does a phenomenal job as Batman. I just love the direction they're going with the story with Batman's being early in his career. There are some great cutscenes with Alfred. That's what I really like about this game. You're not just confined to the asylum and that Ar- into Arkham City in the first two games. You actually travel back to the back game, and you get to have some really good conversations with Alfred. Because Alfred's a pretty central character in the game, too, and he voices his opinion on Batman going out and trying to take down these assassins and just really showing that there's the cutscenes where Batman, where Barbara Gordon asks him, why are you doing this? He goes, I made a promise. And then later on, Alfred goes and tells him, you know, you made a promise to your parents, but I made a promise to them also. That's to you know, keep you safe and to look after you. So there's mm-hmm. great stuff like that, and the voice actors are doing an amazing job. But... Uh, I want to go into details later, Vaughn, but yeah. when the game's been out for a while, but that middle cutscene sequence with the Joker and the whole boss fight with Bane, that's the best Bane boss fight out of all two games. I mean, it's really cool. Oh, yeah. Hands down, that that was something that literally dropped my jaw. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I, did you... I didn't see this in-game. I saw a still of it. Did you catch the Court of the Owls? No, uh, uh, yeah. a picture of that too like oh that was during that sequence in the final yeah. scene like how can I miss it but it looked really cool the talons as a statue yeah I thought that was nice yeah. and I, I like the nods that they're putting in um, a, a poster that we saw a lot of in Arkham uh, City was the Flying Grayson's cancelled poster and now we're seeing the Flying Grayson's poster as an actual event that's coming to yeah. Gotham. So, so I thought that was kind of nice that some of the run-down stuff that, you know, we saw in the game are now actual things that, hey, this is an event that's coming right around the corner. So, um, yeah, I, I just can't say enough good things about it. And I, I thought Roger Craig Smith was going to do pretty good. And like you said, the first beginning parts of the dialogue, I was like, okay, he's... He's going to do all right. It's, it's yeah. not going to be too bad. But like I said, once you get into the meat of it, um, it just, I feel like he took like six steps forward and just had me really invested into the game. And um, like I, like you said, uh, Hamill and uh, Conroy, they're they're excellent at what they do. But uh, if we can't have them, uh, 
Baker and Smith are just doing a phenomenal job. Yeah, and then I'm not going to say too much about this sequence, but after you have this boss fight with Bane, there's an awesome gameplay sequence that happens after that where you're not playing as Batman, and that's all I'll say about it. <laughs> but I knew nothing about it, but it was pretty darn cool <laughs> to play through that sequence. Uh, yeah, and that was that was great. I had I, I was trying to not watch so much. That was something I was really kind of disappointed. I bought said Rocksteady with uh, uh, Warner Brothers Montreal that they're like, we're going to show a new assassin. I'm like, man, I don't I don't want to know everything about this game before it comes out. You know, the week before we find out about Lady Shiva and Killer Croc. And I'm like, well, apparently they've just told us all the cool stuff. There's so much more cool stuff that they didn't even tell us. And the scene in the game that you're talking about, I did not see coming a mile away. Me too, yeah. I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of of assassins, too, another cool thing that I like, you remember how when the electrocutioner got announced, we're like, who is this guy? He's a nobody. (laughs) And it turns out he really is a nobody in the game. You you beat him with one punch, and that's it. (laughs) I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I thought that was really good. And not only does he get one punch, but he gets... uh, one more beat down by another character in the game, which explains how Batman is able to get the uh, gloves. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just remember thinking, okay, how am I going to beat him? So I thought, I guess I'll just go up and see if I can hit him, and that's about it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it should be, too. That's all I love about it. This nobody villain thinks going to take out Batman and one punch he's down. <laughs> And, and to me, that was that was such a Batman moment. Yeah, it, it's almost like the Indiana Jones Raiders of a Lost Ark. Yeah, you know? <laughs> just pulls out his gun, bam, done. Okay, what's next? You know. <laughs> yep. And then I gotta ask you too. Well, I think I asked you about this earlier, but we didn't go into detail. That first major boss battle with Deathstroke. I mean, how many tries did it take you to beat up? Because <laughs> oh, I couldn't gosh. believe how hard he was. How long it took me to figure out the pattern on what to do? Like, man, none of the other bosses were this hard in other games. No, and that's and that's what had me worried at first. So it, the first major boss fight, and he's just kicking my butt all over the place and uh, shooting the uh, uh, what's it called, like the the bat claw that extends grapple, out. Yeah, yeah, the grapple, and it's grappling onto the canisters that are flying back and hitting you in the chest. I'm like, I, I, I it took me, I don't know how many tries. I bet. 20, 30 tries to try and figure out the timing of that. And then it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Rachel Ghoul where uh, he would kind of jump out at you and you'd have to like hit the uh, uh, block button like over and over and over and over again. And you're just kind of like mashing that button. <laughs> if you're not hitting, yeah. he's going to cut you down. So that was that was really good. And like you said, trying to figure out what his pattern was and you probably experienced this too. His pattern didn't stay the same from time to time he played it. And it's not like he's going left, left, right, and then back over to the corner. It, the next time you play through it, the pattern's completely different. So I I thought that was really good. Yeah, when it first started, like, oh man, this is an awesome boss fight. The moves that they're doing, it's pretty much almost like a quick time event where you're pretty much countering his moves and he counters your moves. Yeah. But then after like the 20th try, like, okay. <laughs> This is getting annoying now. <laughs> I gotta beat him. And then what clicked for me was that the sequence you mentioned where he'd throw that grapple hook on you and those canisters would come and then he'd shoot his gun. And then the best way to knock out his, to stop him from shooting the gun is to use your back grapple to pull him over. Right. And I figured 
you know what, why not I just use that background bolt during the regular fight to get some more punches in. And that's what I did. Pretty much any attack, he was close enough, I used the background bolt to start punching him and then do the counter sequence. So I just used my back grapple as a trick to beat him. I, I did the same thing, and I liked that they kind of uh, did that. They mentioned that in like a lot of their press footage that, you know, you'll learn something in this fight, and then you can take that on to the next fight, and you can kind of keep building so I find myself doing some of those things that I learned with Deathstroke or that I learned with, you know, this villain or this villain to think, oh, how am I going to get out of this? And I can go, oh, I did this with Deathstroke. Oh, I did this with Killer Croc or I did this with, you know, such and such. So I thought that was I thought that was cool. And I wasn't at first sure that I thought, okay, I'm going to use the grapple and there's no way I'm going to be able to do it again a second time. And, yeah, I can do it again. So... But you'd have to be, you can't do it from a long distance. I found out I would have to kind of like jump over him and grapple really quick. If I was trying to go at him head on, he would kind of evade me a little bit more. So, yeah, I thought, thought that was really good. Yeah, I think this game might have the best boss battles out of all the oh, yeah. They've all been really good, even as hard as Deathstroke was at first. <laughs> But once you got the pattern out, it was a pretty cool fight sequence. And then the ones later on, I know you haven't made it to Firefly yet, but that was another pretty cool boss fight, too. I'm kind of anticipating that. I'm kind of seeing the bridge, and I'm like, okay, I know it's getting close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so um, I was going to say, too, the I think the cutscenes, too, might be some of the best of out of all the Arkham games, too. Because mm-hmm. it seems to be a little... Maybe I just haven't played the other ones in a while, but these ones seem to last a little longer, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, that whole sequence with in the middle with the Joker and Bane. There's so many great cutscenes in that <laughs> portion. And then also, too, in the Gotham City Police Department where you encounter Gordon. That would make for some great cutscenes, too. So, so yeah. far, I mean, I haven't made it to the ending yet. I'm expecting some more good ones, but this one's had some really good cutscenes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> I'm just kind of, like, thinking about the game, and it, I've, I've just been really impressed uh, with, with how it is. And... Uh, it's kind of cool as you're kind of going through some of the fights, even just kind of on the street level stuff, that you'll get the kind of uh, the crimes in progress. I I like that, but I think it could have been some of those could have been done a little bit better. Where after a while, like I'll I'll clear out a section of the crime in progress and I'll go do something else, and then there'll be another crime in progress. And I'm going right back to the exact same spot that I just cleared out yeah. the last crime. So there is some repetition in there. Um, somebody was complaining online that there's there's no people. There's you know where's the woman getting you know her purse yeah, I've heard uh, purse purse snatched. But there is a PA yep. address that's kind of <laughs> going through thing. that's saying you know it's uh, what do they call that a curfew um, curfew. So that's kind of their way of around. That's why there's no people. That's why there's really no cars in it. Kind of it looks like an abandoned city, but it's not. So um, I, I'm okay with that. Same I just here. kind of. I wish there was a, a little bit more variety in some of them, but uh, uh, some of the thugs that are kind of like Bane-esque type thugs that do have a little bit of venom to them, um, I do like as you're kind of pounding on, on them, you're ripping off parts of their armor and yeah. things like that to break them down. So the, the couple little nitpicks that I do have, I think, or at least right now, I think this is probably my favorite out of the three uh, games so far. Yeah, I'll wait till I beat it to make final judgment. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be hard to top Arkham Asylum for me, just for that being the first new experience we have of playing this truly great Batman oh, game. Yeah. That one just, yeah. I think it might just have the nod of being my favorite just because it was the first. But, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in this game. 
some good side quests too. I didn't even mention the Mad Hatter one, which reminded me of the old Scarecrow missions. I thought that one oh. would be cool too. Yeah, and I like some of the inverted angles that you're doing. It's it's kind of like side scroller, but the camera's tilted on its side, and you're kind of having to you know scale a building, but you're kind of doing it diagonally at some point, mm-hmm. so it's not running it. It's twisted and inverted in kind of a good way sometimes, so I, I like that, that it wasn't like, okay, it's just like your normal street-level stuff that they kind of did that scarecrow nod, but gave it a little Mad Hatter twist at the same time, so. Yeah, so overall, even though, like I said, we haven't beat it yet, it's going to get a good review from me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a must-play for Batman fans, fans if, you're, if you're a fan of the old Arkham games. It's really good, even though it's different with the voice actors and new uh, development team, it's you'll pretty much feel right at home as playing it as you would another Arkham game that was by Rocksteady. But oh. yeah, I'm looking at my collector's edition box on my uh, shelf up here. Um, you have the uh, Xbox, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, us PlayStationers, we have the Nightfall pack, uh, and Azriel looks. Excellent. Oh man! <laughs> and this, oh, and there are five. Uh, I haven't played it yet. I I just started to see what it was, and I kind of went through some challenge maps with the uh, Azrael skin. But there are five maps that are Nightfall esque based that take certain instances between Azrael, Batman, and Bane, and even uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman, and Bane and make them in one little kind of like mini mission itself. I haven't played it yet, but some of my friends that have played it said if, you know, you love the Nightfall uh, storyline, says you're absolutely going to love this uh, pack. I think this will be available to everybody else um, probably pretty shortly. It's just an exclusive for the PlayStation right now. So um, just off the recommendation of my friend, you'll probably want to get this. Yeah. (laughs) If you love Nightfall. Yeah, which of course I do. So yeah, <laughs> as soon as we become available, yeah, I, I wanted. Right away. Yeah, I wanted to play this for the uh, podcast, uh, but <laughs> I'll put it in and go. Okay, I'm gonna do some challenge stuff, and that was something else I I wanted to say too, that you can start the game and go right into a challenge map, or you could kind of be playing in the open world and go back to the Batcave, and Alfred may tell you, you know, sir, maybe you ought to go brush up on, you know whatever gadget you just recently picked up, he may tell you to kind of go do some stuff. So you can walk right over to, like, the training room, and that's how you can get into some of the challenge maps. I think that's a a really kind of a a cool little uh, feature that they put in to make the challenge maps feel kind of like a part of the game. Yeah, I thought the same thing, too. Like, that's pretty neat. You can just go right to it from here. Yeah. Well, I haven't tried the multiplayer at all yet. I've heard it's not very good. I've actually read reviews where it says don't even bother clicking on it. Now, I, I kind of like it. I, once you're in the game, it's not bad. I think it's it's a good idea. It's just not executed the best that it could be. Okay. But um, I sat for 15 minutes waiting for eight people to show up. Wow. So, so I could play. And I mean, there's there has to be thousands of people that probably have this game and divide that let's say it's 50 you got 500 people that have xbox 500 people that have a playstation i can't imagine that there's not eight people so i don't know how it's doing that um i am part of a uh, arkham 
fan page, and they'll pick times where, okay, we're all going to meet and we're going to go play. So you can send out private matches, and those work better because everybody is showing up, but just to kind of randomly go through, uh, I'll, I, like I said, I sat there for 15, 20 minutes just waiting for, you know, I was the first person in the room, and then, you know, two or three people would show up, and then somebody would get tired of waiting, so that they would hop out. So I, I wish it was just operating a little bit differently. Yeah. Or, to be, or to be able to have that thing where I could say, hey, Tim, do you want to play Arkham Origins? And you and I could go into a room and we can play and do something. Or say, let's make this a two-player mode and then you and I will tackle this whole entire room. That would have been cool. Or to have, you know, if I can't find anybody to play with and I could use these skins or my Robin skin that I've only ever got to use twice because I can't, I can't pick to be Robin or I can't pick to be Batman. I just have to get randomed into it. And kind of a frustrating thing is I'll go, I, I keep finding myself being a Joker thug, which is all right. And it seems like, you know, my team may win or whatever it is. So after that match is over, I may get randomed right back into being a Joker thug. But it seems like every time I'm Batman or Robin, the system crashes oh, or, <laughs> or people log off. So I have the Batman year one skin. And looks looks really good, but the, the one time I got to get into a room, the game started up and it froze. So I have yet to actually be Batman. I've been like Robin twice. So I mean, I like it. I still find myself going and doing it, but it's not like okay. As soon as I'm done doing the podcast, I'm gonna go to the online mode. Well, I may do that eventually, but you know, it's. I think it's a step in the right direction. That's what uh, somebody that I was reading said. You know, th- this could be a good thing, but it's just it wasn't executed well. And it's like once they made that announcement, splash damage didn't come out and tell you more about it. it was like okay, we got this online mode, three versus three versus two. That's it. So there's I think five maps you can choose from. So everybody picks a map, and then the highest map gets picked. So. It's it's okay. It's not horrible, but it's not the greatest thing either. So, uh, kind of what I was expecting, really. <laughs> like I've heard kind of what you said, but then I've heard also really horrible things about it. So that's why I haven't even clicked on it yet. I probably will check it out yeah. once I finish the story and some of the side quest stuff. But I, yeah, I just can't see myself probably getting that much into the multiplayer. Yeah, but yeah, it's not going to take away anything from the single player mode. No, no. Yeah. yeah, so I know as I mentioned earlier. Batman's kind of gotten a bad rap for being in tons of bad video games. And, of course, he's had, I mean, like we mentioned, Dark Tomorrow. And have you played the Batman Beyond Return of the Joker game? No, I haven't. No, yeah, I haven't. That's another one where I bought it. It's, uh, that's like almost Superman 64 Part 2. It's so bad. <laughs> but I didn't pay 80 bucks for that one. But Oh, wow. But, yeah, he's had his fair share of really great video games, like we mentioned, the Batman 89 game for the Nintendo. Once again, if no one's ever heard that song for the first level, Streets of Gotham City. Definitely check it out. It'll be stuck in your head <laughs> for a while, I guarantee Yes. But like we said, the Super Nintendo games, Batman and Batman Returns, Batman the Animated Series, Batman Vengeance game, Rise of Sinsu, of course, the Arkham game. So, like, going over this discussion we had tonight, like, you know, he's had this fair amount of really good, good games over the years, not just all horrible ones like a lot of people seem to think before Arkham um, came out. 
I do have another one I'm holding in my hand here. I've, I meant to mention, I have the Game Boy Batman animated series game. And uh, you can be both Batman and Robin in this game. There's five levels. Uh, the joke's on you, chill of a lifetime, the green menace, uh, bank robbing is a gas, and the Joker's last laugh. So it alternates between Batman, Robin, and Batman. Um, it's a it's a fun little game, but it's one of those that if you expect to beat the whole game, you have to do it in one sitting because there's no there's no saving. You can continue uh, to you can die and come back and die and come back. But if you're like, okay, I'm done, uh, you need one of those game genies to advance yourself to a level, or you just have to plug your Game Boy in and play. Now I had the Super NES Game Boy adapter, so that was kind of cool that I didn't have to be on the handheld. Uh, anymore, but um, I never actually beat that game because I just didn't want to sit there and play it for, you know, hours on end. But I never played too much of the handheld ones. That's another thing, too, the Arkham Origins Blackgate came out. I mean, I haven't gotten that yet, but I'm curious to see how good that one is, if it's just kind of a throwaway tie-in game from Arkham Origins, if it's actually pretty decent. Yeah, I haven't, I don't have any of those handheld games, so I was kind of uh, curious uh, to find somebody that's played it, so if you end up Playing it, let me know. Yeah. So I guess to wrap up the whole conversation, if you had to pick your favorite Batman video game of all time, Rob, what's it going to be? Wow, that's rough. Um, right now, I, I want to say Origins. I haven't completed it, so I'm going to go with Arkham City. Um, I I liked that immensely. It was the first uh, next-gen video game that I played. As much as I love the animated series games of those that we mentioned, um, I think I probably would have picked Asylum had I played that first, but uh, I thought Arkham City was so cool, um, just being in that huge open world, and then I kind of felt cramped <laughs> going into Arkham Asylum, but a friend of mine said, Yo, you wouldn't have had that feeling if you had played that one first, so I'm going to go with Arkham. I'm going to go with Arkham City. Yeah, I'm going to go with the opposite, Arkham Asylum for me. <laughs> like I mentioned before, kept my expectations in check, then it slowly got built higher and higher, and then when the game finally came out, just blown away how great it was. I mean, it is almost like an evolution of Batman the Animated Series in a way, because you're seeing it in a more uh, adult-told story, because you're seeing, like, Batman and Joker curse <laughs> in the game. Mm-hmm. It's visually, it just looks more mature. And then, yeah, it, just had, it was a whole package for the first time experiencing that. It's something I'll never forget, and it'll probably always be the greatest Batman game for me. But close second being the NES game. <laughs> there you <laughs> so, go. All right, cool. So hopefully by the next podcast, we'll have both beaten Arkham Origins, and maybe we could touch on what we thought of the ending for it. Cool. All right, so that's going to do it for our future topic. But one uh, piece of news that came out over the last two weeks that was disappointing to me was that uh, Cartoon Network's doing it again with their DC animated series, where now Beware the Batman has been put on hiatus, where we're supposed to get a new episode last week, and it's all of a sudden they took it off the schedule, and it's not going to be on for two months now. I was just like, man, they did this with Green Lantern and Young Justice, and that pretty much spelled the end for those two series. So now right. it's got me, and I'm sure other people, wondering, is this it for Beware the Batman? Are they just going to air the remaining produced episodes, and that's it? It kind of seems that way. And if it is, it's going to be a shame, because I've really been enjoying the series. And I just think if a Batman animated series isn't going to last, I think this is going to be it for kind of those more serious action animated series from DC. We're going to get more stuff like uh, Teen Titans Go and all that. So I was pretty disappointed to learn of that. Yeah, I I really think DC needs to find another venue, another yeah. another place to put their uh, animated 
shows. I'm I'm not surprised when I heard the announcement. I I kind of half called it. I'm like, there's there's no way this is going to be an uninterrupted series, and I I wasn't surprised the least bit once I saw it was. At first, they people were posting, oh, the show's been pulled. It's it's off the lineup. It's been canceled. And it was almost like a day or two reaction for Cartoon Network to be like, no, it's it's just it's on hiatus. And even just their reasoning behind the hiatus just sounded like it's, it was all kind of fluff. So just like Green Lantern and Young Justice, yeah. And then I I'm fully picturing them to say, well, the show just wasn't doing well, and no one's buying the toys. Well, guess what? There's only one. Unless you count the Happy Meals. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, that was something I thought of right away. If they're going to blame, you know, Young Justice that it wasn't selling toys, well, there's no toys to speak of, really, for this show. So how long can it last if that's, if that's what they're hanging their hat on? So we'll have to wait and see. I, I hope I hope I'm wrong and it comes back and it's they do little mini-seasons, but anytime you put a show on hiatus, somebody tunes in, and doesn't see it for a week or two, some people just, well, maybe not some, maybe most people just kind of check out and forget about the show. Yeah. So. Because they might not know when it's coming back. Not everyone's right. going to be checking Twitter that the Cartoon Network makes the announcement saying, oh, this is when it's coming back, and they just might totally forget about it. But have you been enjoying the series? I mean, we talked about the first two episodes, but as it's progressing, have you still been enjoying it? Because I really have. I like where the story's going with uh, the League of Assassins and they're bringing Ra's al Ghul into it. Yeah. I just really love this adaption of Batman. I just love the characterization of him in this series. Katana, not so much. I would really rather just have him training Dick Grayson or Tim Drake or some Robin instead of her. I just don't think she's working well. No, I think that's the only misstep that they took. Yeah. Right? From there being different enough just in the style. Exactly. And Get to see things like Anarchy and Professor Pig and Toad and, you know, just some uh, Magpie, uh, some of these different ones. I think that's different enough. And if they didn't want to have a Robin, then I just wouldn't have had Katana yeah. at all and done just Batman by himself. And Alfred's different enough that the Alfred character is growing on me. I would have rather him just been the normal butler, but, you know, I'm not saying things can't be different, but it, Katana just seems forced. Yeah, still. Yeah, but yeah, the stories have been good. But like I said, yeah. Batman's awesome, and it, this fighting style in the series he does some awesome moves and pretty much. Oh yeah. Awesome. So yeah, hopefully we haven't seen the last of Beware the Batman. But if it does, it's going to be a darn shame. <laughs> it's only going to be a few episodes. Yeah. What are they like? Eight episodes? I think them might be up to ten. I'm not sure. Ten. Okay. I think I'm two episodes behind. Okay. Um, so did yeah. I spoil Rachel Cool for you then? <laughs> no, no. I okay. I knew I knew he was coming up, so that okay. that wasn't a spoil. All right, cool. <laughs> but more uh, DC shakeups going on. Where the big announcement that happened a few days ago was this kind of knew this was coming, or there's been rumblings about it. But DC Comics is moving to Burbank, California, where they can have DC Entertainment and DC Comics all be together in one area. Okay, I. Somebody can try to explain this to me. Maybe you can. I don't get why people are upset at this. I'm like, so what? They're moving. It's yep. like, I, I guess I just don't get it. That's like, I know they say location, location, location. That's the first three rules of business. Once you open a place, don't move it because people won't be able to find it. But it's not like I'm not going to get my comics. Yeah. To me, I think it's a good thing to have all these. If they're trying to really bring these characters into other mediums, but they want to 
keep it kind of cohesive what they're doing with the comics, it's best to have all these different creative forces in the same area so they can communicate with each other. Yeah. And that makes sense. But at the same time, if you're a DC Comics writer and you're in New York, that's where you're working out of, I could definitely see those people being upset about this where pretty much their whole lives are going to be changing if they decide to go with this and they're going to move to California. Those are the only people who can really be upset about this. But Right. Now, isn't uh, Snyder from New York? I believe so. So I was trying to think as far as the Batman universe is concerned, which of our Batman writers may be like, I ain't moving to California. So I thought, oh my gosh, if Snyder can pool or New York people, are they just going to be like, I would think maybe they might be safe to be like, look, we're not moving. Our book's number one, so (laughs) we're going to phone it in. (laughs) I think DC just going to, if they have to give anyone a pass, it'll be them. Yeah, you can write your scripts from home or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, or maybe you fly out every third month or or something like that. So I I can see, like, from the writers and artist standpoint, that, you know, they've got their bullpen office and they've been in there for... I don't know how many years they've been there, but then to get told like, "Hey, we're we're moving." Is it 2015? They're moving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I hate I hate to say it, but Snyder and Capullo may not be on the book in 2015. I, I would I would hope that they are, but yeah, I don't know. I, I have a hard time DC letting them go just because of that, or they end up yeah. something out. But I'm thinking, hopefully, this will be the thing to get things started for more movies or something, so you can have. Maybe these writers who are going to work on the movies be more in contact with the people in the comics side of things. Maybe have them be on set or in script meetings and stuff like that. It'll be easier for that. So that's kind of what I'm excited and hoping for with this whole transition. Same way. I think it's like a – I would think it would be a win-win if you're a fan. Yeah. If people saying, like, well, the movies are one thing and the comics are another to use the excuse, like, well, they're clear over on the East Coast. We have to do everything through voicemail or – Skype or whatever, they could just go across the street to the next office or even in the same building and be able to talk about things. So, And, you know, with a Superman Batman coming out in 2015, you know, I, I would have to think this is going to play well for everybody, like you said, just being all in the same location. So I know, yeah, it makes total sense. So I think this is going to be a good thing, hopefully. Maybe you can finally get Warner Brothers off the bus to get these characters in the movie. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if you heard the latest, all those rumors, how you, I think you've heard it before, where uh, Batman's love interest for the Batman-Superman movie might be Wonder Woman. Yeah, I've kind of heard rumblings of that, yeah. And then today, there's, I, mean, I think Stan Lee's, there's a convention called Kamikaze or something like that. Mm-hmm. I've just seen it now. You know, there's an actress in Thor who plays Lady Sif. Yep. She just said today how she's been in contact with Warner Brothers in DC about a role for Batman and Superman. And that, that got a lot of people kind of putting things together. I've heard before when people would wonder would they should make a good Wonder Woman. Yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe there's going to be some truth to that. Where <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have a hard time seeing them squeezing Wonder Woman into this movie. At least it's at the very end where it gets revealed <laughs> that she is Wonder Woman. But you know, it, it if they're going to do that, shoehorn her in there as Diana. Yeah. And not see Wonder Woman maybe until, like you said, the very end or at the end credits that the reveal for people that may not know that uh, I've also said Princess Leia. (laughs) (laughs) Wonder Woman is uh, Diana Prince. That would be like, oh, my gosh, that lady's Wonder Woman. So, you know. 
Yeah, they get out of somewhere. At the end of the movie, she tells Bruce she has to travel somewhere. Then the movie ends, and the after the credit scene, you see her on some mascara or some putting on the tiara or picking up the lasso or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I just thought, man, it's going to be so hard to do <laughs> three of them in one movie. I don't know. we got to wait to see if that if Superman works. So. Right. At least just a setup type thing. Oh, um, I don't know if this was in our show notes. I'm trying to look here. I don't want to jump the gun. But something I saw earlier this week that they were saying that a possible look for Ben Affleck in the Superman Batman movie may be based off of Batman Noel. Yeah, I did see something like that where, I don't know, I didn't take too much from that because I didn't see his costume being too different in Batman Noel to, like, be something that's totally shocking. Like, wow, it's going to look like that? Man, it's going to be totally different. I mean... Yeah, I don't know if they're, if they're going mean by color palette because the article also said something about trying to... Um, maybe not associate it so much with the Nolan universe. So that hopefully is a sign that he'll be out of the black costume and maybe more of a traditional comic book looking, maybe gray and black type of a uh, color scheme. Or if maybe somebody's watching at Warner Brothers, watching Arkham Origins, I think that'd be a great suit. <laughs> yeah, I love that suit. It's really to be using. So, yeah. Well, I don't think it'll be too long till we start till we see the actual bat suit. Yeah, probably sometime early next year when they're filming. But that was pretty much all the news, I guess, from the last two weeks. Nothing too much going on. I think everyone's playing Arkham Origins, doing out too many big news stories. So, yeah, with that, uh, we can probably go into our comic review section because Alex didn't send us an email for this episode. He betrayed us again. Uh, Alex, you know that's uh, two emails, buddy. Uh, and a quick shout out to uh, Terrence, who is celebrating his 39th birthday today. Happy birthday, Terrence! Or maybe it's Terrence who forgot to send the email. Uh, maybe that's <laughs> what it is. He's he's celebrating too much birthday today. That uh, Terrence, you probably really should have sent Alex's email and not been so selfish on your birthday. <laughs> Think about other people on your birthday, Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> Or unless Alex is playing Arkham Origins and he's just too tied to the game and everything's forgiven. So. Okay. <laughs> Alex, then that is perfectly acceptable. Um, continue playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, for the comics for the past two weeks, we're going to be covering the weeks of October 23rd and October 30th. For October 23rd, we got Batman the Dark Knight, number 24, Justice League, 24, and Teen Titans, number 24. Which, that's going to be your section, Rob. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and then October 30th, we got Nightwing Annual Number 1. This is a week of annuals. Uh, Teen Titans Annual Number 1. And was it number 1 or number 2? Because I didn't pick it up. But I know. Uh, number 2. Okay. And then Damien, Son of Batman Number 1. Did you read that one, Rob? Yes, I did. I'm curious to see what you thought about that one <laughs> when we get to it. Yeah. But as usual, this uh, section is going to be full of spoilers, so if you haven't read the comics yet, you might want to hold off on listening to the section. And then once you read them, come back and check out what we had to say about it. And for our rating scale for this episode, Rob, I was thinking of doing uh, attempts we or tries to try to defeat Deathstroke in Batman Arkham Origins. <laughs> Excellent. I, that's funny. I was actually going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so tries... The amount of tries it took to beat Deathstroke and Arkham Origins is our rating scale. So let's kick things off with Batman The Dark Knight number 24. What do you think of this one, Rob? 
Um, I have nothing to think of it because I didn't get this one. <laughs> I have everything else. <laughs> <laughs> the one I try to start it with, you don't have. I know. Well, for me, I personally love this issue. I mean, Greg Hurwitz has done a great job with telling origins for the characters who's written Scarecrow, Mad Hatter, Penguin, and now Clayface. I mean, I kind of want to see him do every Batman villain now because he's knocked out of the park these four villains he's tackled. So uh, this issue starts with uh, Clayface. He's always been captured by Batman in Dark Knight number 23. And he's talking to his cellmate who's kind of impressed that Clayface is that Phil Carlo, the actor, and he's kind of reciting lines from his old movie. And this is impresses the act, the cellmate. He's like, yeah, man, it's just like I remember the movie. Clayface is feeling good about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of being noticed again. This is pretty cool to kind of have like an audience again. But then he starts, something triggers in his memory how uh, his life was as a kid. It was because two guards were walking Scarecrow out of the cell. Then he had this mirror, and Clayface kind of saw his self as a child in that reflection. I don't know if it was some special mirror Scarecrow had, or Clayface just happened to see himself in his memory as a kid. So we get the flashback of Clayface as a child, kind of wanting to be noticed by people, the kids at school, but he was just ordinary. He wasn't, say, like he says, he wasn't extremely good-looking, but he wasn't ugly either. He was just kind of in the middle. Nobody noticed him, but he wanted that attention. And he tried to do certain things, like get a leather jacket, he even stole some sunglasses to try to make himself stand out, look cool, but that still didn't work. Nobody noticed him. And the thing he wanted to do as he grew up was be an actor, which, of course, you get a lot of attention if you're good. But he got turned down by casting agencies. He wouldn't get hired. But then that brought him to the Penguin, who at first I was like, oh, great, Penguin's back. But he actually served the story okay. He wasn't really in it all that much. But he provides Basil Carlo with pretty much the Clayface formula. And it did kind of remind me a little bit of the animated series where a corrupt businessman gave, uh, even though it's Matt Hagen in the animated series, but Basso Carlo, the kind of the Clayface formula would turn him into Clayface. So I had that going for it. And once he pretty much inhales it through his nostrils and it took the effect on him, and this really had to concentrate to make himself shapeshift his face and look like other people. And he was able to get parts that way. He was able to pretty much do horror stories, look like zombies and monsters and all that. That's how he got hired. And people were pretty much, he was getting the attention that he wanted. He was rich. He was famous. But then Penguin came calling to pay back his debt. Of course, he didn't have to pay for that Clayface formula right away. But then Penguin calls in on his favors. And then he pretty much has Basil Carlo do these crimes for him, even has him kill some people. And that's just pretty much taking its toll on Basil Carlo, where the distress of working for Penguin, doing these movies, it just kind of takes its toll on where it changes his form. And so the clay face, we know how he's all disfigured with the mud, just the pile of mud. And so after once that happened, he started falling out of the limelight. He wasn't working again. He wasn't, he was pretty much right where he was as a kid and nobody. And then it transfers back to the present day in his cell and like, you kind of felt sorry for Clayface as he's telling the story. That's what I like about Greg Hurwitz when he does these origins. He creates sympathy for these horrible villains and murderers and criminals, but when you see the backstory, you can kind of see where they're coming from. And even as Clayface is telling the story, and his cellmate, who was, he was pretty much becoming friends with, he dies in the middle of it because he wasn't responding. You just see Clayface cry out for help. He's like, please, somebody help this guy, but it's too late. And he just see him kind of all depressed, alone in his cell. 
But then it ends with him trying to thinking like he's choking, but it ends up being okay. But the whole point of it was that to get a little piece of his clay out of the cell, and that's probably going to be the start of his escape in the next issue because it just ends with him looking out of his cell and it says next, Clayface on the loose. So, like I said, Greg Kerwitz does it again with another compelling origin story for a Batman villain. So I'm going to give this one four and a half out of five tries that it took to beat Deathstroke in Arkham, Arkham Origins. Really like this issue. I just hope it, this whole arc with Clayface doesn't drag on kind of like Mad Hatter did and it just has a proper conclusion to it so it doesn't feel like, oh, I should have ended a few wishes ago, but so far it hasn't hit that point yet. Now, has the Dark Knight been typically running, like, a three-issue arc? How long did the Mad Hatter... Mad Hatter, arc? I want to say, went, like, six or seven issues. That one okay. backed out a bit. Scarecrow was, like, five or six, too. Okay. So I'm thinking three or four should be the right amount that I think Greg Kerwin should stick with, because that's usually where it hits its high point. And right now, Clayface is at its high point. So, But you know it's going to be one more at least, so I'm kind of hoping to wrap things up there. Cool. It's kind of funny. When the New 52 started, I think this was one book that a lot of people were kind of... Uh, that's one reason I didn't pick it up. It's, it felt like it was a throwaway. I think I had it to was. issue had had <laughs> had issue. Maybe I got two issues of it. And I'm like, eh, this isn't really worth it. And then it just seemed like once the the change happened in the book, that it just really took off. And uh, kind of regret now not picking it up. But it was just kind of one of those. I had too many eggs in another basket. So unfortunately, this is one book I'm not picking up. But um, after every review that I hear you guys do, it just makes me go, man, did I make a mistake not getting this book? So <laughs> The first few issues with uh, uh, David Finch as the writer, yeah. no, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right when Greg Hurwitz came on board with the Scarecrow, yeah, it's been really good. There's been a few, like I said, ones I just feel like they're just dragging on too much, which doesn't bring the overall story arc down. It just doesn't make it as great as it could be, I think, but Overall, there's always great stories in the ones he's told so far with these villains. But that'll be it for The Dark Knight. So, Rob, I'll let you go ahead and take uh, Teen Titans number 24. Well, I was actually going to throw it back to you because I could tie in uh, the Teen Titans 24 and then the annual tie-in both together. So that could be our jump to October 3rd. So how about I kick it back to you for Justice League? Okay. And do you mind if I kick it back to you to hear your first review of Justice League? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be playing uh, back-and-forth kickball here. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I thought this was really good. It's um, I wasn't sure if we were actually going to be uh, covering this one. I saw it on the list, and I didn't actually read it until I saw it was on here, so I thought I better <laughs> read this pretty quick. It's actually the uh, alternate origin of Superman, or in this case, Ultraman, and uh, from their parallel Earth, and... Uh, it, it was just it, everything that you know and love about Superman is completely turned opposite. Oh, yeah. You know, Jor-El and Laura are mad at each other. The planet's blowing up. <laughs> I almost get the feeling like, this is your fault. This is happening. And uh, there's Jor-El tells her to shut up or something like that as, uh, you know, Kal-El is, you know, rocketing off to Earth. And um, as, you know, a lot of the Superman origins, you're getting all of the information from Jor-El, but it's basically, you know, you're worthless, you're weak, you're not going to amount to anything, and, you know, don't show anybody mercy, be strong, and you have to eat, snort, and smell, you know, your kryptonite cocaine, yeah. <laughs> basically. Uh, 
it was kind of funny, but, you know, creepy seeing, you know, the rocket crash land, uh, on earth and, uh, right through the camp farm <laughs> and, uh, the baby Ultraman uh, comes up and uh, uses his lasers and lops off uh, Jonathan Kent's hand and is able to speak <laughs> English uh, very well <laughs> coming out of the uh, pod, which I kind of thought was funny. And uh, it kind of gets the overall uh, narration from Ultraman that basically says he really didn't have any use for him after like age seven or something like that and had torched the camp farm and, uh, then it kind of jumps into, um, I was trying to figure if this is, uh, present day. I've got the issue right here. Or if it's kind of like, um, I think it is after all the villain. Yes. It is after, um, all the Justice League members are uh, supposedly dead or they're not around anymore. And we get a little bit with Owlman where he's, uh, wanting to speak to, uh, uh, to Dick to talk to him a little bit, but it's basically dealing with, uh, Ultraman and what he is doing, and he decides that he is going to run, or run, fly to, uh, I thought said Wayne Tower, <laughs> the Daily Planet, and, uh, ends up going after, uh, Jimmy Olsen. And, uh, I, I don't know if, if I've missed anything from, uh, the spinoffs, but apparently the Jimmy Olsen on, uh, Ultraman's universe must be a little bit stronger or must be something and uh basically really kind of uh I wouldn't say tortures but ends up uh shattering Jimmy's hand and he's trying to call for Superman and Superman's not coming and Ultraman ends up uh coming into the Daily Planet and throws Lois Lane around and she is uh calling for Superman and Ultraman says Superman's not coming, he's not gonna save you. Uh ends up uh, grabbing Jimmy, and just at the moment where he's going to have his way with Lois Lane, who shows up to save the day? Black Adam. So, uh, Ultraman and Black Adam are going at it, and Ultraman is now looking that he finally has somebody to be able to fight, and he's going to enjoy beating Ultraman. Um, I thought this was a really good issue. I think Jeff Johns, uh, this is probably some of the better uh, things that he's written. Uh, I was wouldn't say in a while. He's been doing really good on the Green Lantern run. I've really enjoyed his Aquaman run, and that's uh, going to be ending here pretty soon. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, uh, Aquaman has been re- really good. But uh, as kind of lackluster as Trinity War was, I didn't have my hopes were kind of dashed a little bit when Forever Evil was going to go or was going to be starting up and thinking, oh, wow, you know, Turning to War was okay, but I thought we were going to get another okay story. And he's just really knocking it out of the park with the uh, Forever Evil run. And we're getting uh, some real flushed out origins for all of the uh, uh, crime syndicate up to this point. So I think this is really good. And, um, it's just kind of in the back of your mind, where is the rest of the Justice League? And we've seen Batman briefly, so I'm kind of wondering when he's going to uh, make his appearance and uh, still kind of concerned what uh, is going to happen with uh, Dick Grayson and Owlman and the Alfred of Earth 2. So I think this is another solid um, start for Jeff Johns. There's a lot of really cool moments, and those uh, Superman moments that you like are really turned uh 
on their head and kind of looked at, at from an evil perspective. So um, it's a, a nice literal black and white of uh, what a Superman could be. So I'm going to give this uh, four out of five tries that I kept trying to block Deathstroke and failed. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I really thought this was a great issue, too. All the points you thought of, uh, or the stuff you brought out, where it's pretty much everything you knew and love about Superman just turned upside down. Like I said, I was really getting a kick out of the intro with Laura and Jarrell pretty much shooting their way out of a crowd of people in Krypton just to get uh, <laughs> Kal-El <laughs> up in space first and out of Krypton. Like I said, that last line he says to Laura was just, shut up and die, Laura. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then things aren't much different with the Kents either. I mean, uh, Jonathan, Kent, and Martha are fighting with each other. She grabs a knife. He's choking her. And then Clark or Kal-El crash lands on their farm. And like you said, he kills them at age seven because they already served their purpose. Just like you said, everything you know and love about Superman just turned upside down. It just made for an entertaining read. But I was surprised. That being the Justice League book, and on the covers, pretty much everyone from the crime syndicate, was a little surprised that it just focused mainly on Ultraman and not everyone else, kind of like a team book with them. I mean, it kind of lets you know what everyone's doing through uh, their version of Cyborg, kind of letting Ultraman know what everyone's up to so he can go do his own thing. But yeah, like you said, that final encounter where he goes to the Daily Planet to mess with Jimmy Olsen and then later Lois, I never thought I'd be happy to see Black Adam, but you just hate Ultraman so much as you're reading this. You're yeah. just waiting for anyone to show up and knock some sense into him and to beat him up. Of course, you're waiting for Superman to do that, which I'm hoping by the end of the story he does. But when Black Adam came, you're kind of like at that guest feeling, like, yeah, someone's finally stepping up to this guy. But then it looks like he gets taken down by Ultraman at the end. So I hope there's more to this fight than what we saw on this page, in the final page of this issue, but... Yeah, this is an entertaining read, just the whole pretty much bizarro version of uh, <laughs> Superman's origin story, but it not being bizarro, but it felt that way, because everything yeah. was opposite about it. Like you said, it was so black and white of what's good and evil <laughs> with these two characters. So yeah, I was definitely entertained by it, and just enjoying Forever Evil overall. Just can't wait to see where it goes next. So right there with you, I'm going to give it four out of five tries it took me to finally beat Deathstroke in Arkham Origins with my bat grapple. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I think this will kick it over to me. I'm going to combine uh, Teen Titans 24 and then Teen Titans Annual number 2 as they are both basically one, uh, I would say pretty much seamlessly uh, long story. Uh, I'm considering this my Tim Drake book since Tim does not have a book of his own in the New 52, so that's why I'm still currently on it. Uh, Scott Lobdell, uh, which I'm really surprised he's been on the book this long, uh, that he hasn't been taken off or hasn't Yeah, that is left. surprising. <laughs> yeah. the changes that's gone on with some other books. Yeah. Um, I know Marv Wolfman is uh, doing the Superboy title, so and his run on the new Teen Titans was uh, fantastic, so I would love to see him uh, back on a Teen Titans book. But... Um, I may start picking up the Superboy title because uh, the Teen Titans are going to be making an appearance over there, so it'll be hopefully kind of cool. But anyway, uh, the basic gist of this, out of the events of Forever Evil 2, uh, where the Teen Titans uh, have just found out uh, that the Justice League is gone, they are going to go uh, attack the crime syndicate. Uh, Johnny Quick uh, ends up... Uh, 
time distorting the Teen Titans and they are getting bounced around uh, the universe. And it makes a mention in issue 24 that in some instances they only stay at a place. Uh, to them, it feels like minutes, seconds, some it's hours, days, millennia. Time has no meaning to them, but at the same time, time has very much meaning to them. So, uh, in certain instances, members of a Teen Titans, and it's really kind of focusing around the three central of Red Robin, Superboy, and Wonder Girl, and they're getting bounced back into various points in the New 52, and each of their uh, origins in the New 52. So, in a couple instances where Red Robin ends up meeting Bunker, when I first read that, I thought, that really kind of seems kind of random. It's explained here uh, how Bunker automatically just shows up, and he ends up making some thing like uh, something told me that I should be here on this train at this specific time. Well, in 24, Red Robin uh, finds Bunker in a church and says, I only have a few minutes. You have to be on this train at 1245 at this particular time, and you cannot tell me that I talk to you. And instantly gets zapped out, which now makes that uh, bunker conversation that seemed so out of place. I went back and read issue one because of this, and now it makes complete sense. So twenty four issues. It only took twenty four issues, <laughs> issues to do. So it's um, it, in this particular issue, it's kind of it, the issue is all over the place, but it's all over the place in a really good way. They're just bebopping around in, in different points, and they're kind of also getting they're landing in alternate universes that the crime syndicate have kind of hit uh, sometimes in an area that's been totally decimated. They're getting to see uh, what has happened or alternate versions of themselves. And that's basically how the issue is going. And you're kind of seeing that Raven is not the Raven that we used to know that she, (laughs) pardon the expression, but she's in bed with her father, meaning that, uh, her goals with Trigon are uh, centered on trying to take down the Teen Titans, and that's uh, brought forth in this issue. So she's kind of the mole in the Teen Titans. And then going right in to 24, they are transported to an alternate universe where Lois and Superman have had a child, and that is Superboy. But this Superboy is an evil Superboy, and in this particular uh, universe, Superboy has taken out all of the Justice League members, and the only one that is left is Beast Boy, so when Red Robin and the rest of the Teen Titans show up, they are transported into a bat cave that has been totally destroyed. Um, there are ashes on the ground with a serving tray, and it's the ashes of Alfred. He has been vaporized. Um, Batman has been locked inside of one of the wardrobe cases and has left to die and rot in the cave. And uh, Superboy is trying to keep Red Robin away from the case and saying, you don't want to see this. And, of course, uh, Tim is very upset. They meet um, Beast Boy, and Beast Boy has information that Red Robin has previously told him in another timeline jump. And Tim ends up saying, you know, why should I believe anything that you're telling me about all this. And in the New 52, nobody knows Red Robin's identity. The only person that knows he is actually Tim Drake is Kid Flash, and Kid Flash has been knocked out of the time stream. 
And Beast Boy says, I know the one thing that none of the other members of the Teen Titans know. I know that your real name is Tim Drake. So that is uh, the information that Red Robin needs. Uh, they go off on their way, and we get a fight between the evil Superboy and the clone Superboy. Uh, the clone good Superboy gets thrown out of the time stream, and just before he does that, it appears that the evil Superboy of Lois and Clark have been has been killed. They are able to revive him, and Beast Boy and Rose, that was an old Teen Titans from the new Teen Titans era, that was um, Deathstroke's daughter. If you can wrap your head around that, yeah, uh, take the clothes off of the evil Superboy and dress him up to look like. Uh, the Superboy that the Teen Titans know and send them off on another time jump. So they are being essentially transported back with Raven to our current time stream with an evil Superboy. And the last panel says, I can't believe that we just sent the only hope for the universe back with an evil Superboy. And the last line says, this is exactly what Tim wanted. End End of the issue. So, uh, that was kind of like a little long <laughs> run there, uh, but as hit or miss as the uh, Teen Titans has been, this has been a really, really good uh, run, these two single issues. So, if these both combined are actually telling one story, I'm going to give them both four out of five. That's uh, the highest I've thought of Teen Titans up to this point. It's sad that it's taken 24 issues. Uh, to get there, uh, but I think that's kind of his downfall. For every one good issue that Lobdell is writing, he writes three or four clunkers, so this has uh, has me really intrigued on in how they're going to play into uh, the rest of Forever Evil, and that's something that uh, Scott Lobdell is saying, that Teen Titans play a major role uh, in the conclusion of Forever Evil, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what this all means. And DC just announced that they are going to kill off the Superboy character that's the clone and that the version of Superboy that's going to be around is this uh, version of Lois and Clark's alternate uh, universe child. So I'm really kind of intrigued, and this makes me want to pick up the uh, Superboy title because um, the footnote in here to find out what happens to uh, the good robot New 52 clone, you have to cho- uh, check out Superboy and Action Comics. So I can't imagine is, fans are going to be happy about that. <laughs> I mean, I know Superboy is not the most popular title out there, but I'm sure it had its fan base, and I know that's going to be killed off when replaced with this one. <laughs> and sure I think sitting well. Yeah, that was one thing that a lot of people originally didn't like, that this Superboy, the Connor Kent that everybody you know, know and loved, has been replaced in the New 52 by this clone this basically robot, basically a cyborg. So I think this is their way to kind of fix that. I know that's kind of part of Forever Evil or kind of do like another soft type of reboot inside a bigger, <laughs> you know, reboot. Um, uh, the Superboy in the main uh, Teen Titans book is uh, Con-El, and the new Superboy is going to be called John-El, so... That's Superboy, or that's uh, Teen Titans, rather. It's surprising how you said this one's so good, but that it's a pretty much a complex time travel story, because usually time travel stories can be messy, where it can kind of take away from 
certain aspects that might make you enjoy it. So it's yeah, surprising this, that it's a time travel story that's making it some of the best Teen Titans from what you're saying. Yeah, it's it, it does kind of have the feel of a Teen Titans book that I really kind of liked. And it's the time jumps aren't so horrible that you're losing pace. Um, things are plotted pretty well. You're getting a good amount of exposition of of how and why they're jumping. They're literally jumping. It could they could spend to them five minutes in one place or five hundred years in one place. So it's it, it's been an interesting run these last uh, three issues coming out of Forever Evil. So um, I think Lobdell is playing pretty pretty close to what Johns has going on. So uh, I think that's at least keeping him kind of grounded. Story-wise, you know, thinking of time travel, you know how pretty much the comic stories in this other fran- popular franchises, a lot of them always do time travel. Star Wars is like the one franchise that really hasn't done a major time travel story. And I lot, hope, yeah, I hope they never stuff. do. <laughs> they had one event called Vector where I didn't read read it. It was a comic series that Dark Horse was doing where, like, there was one sequence in the beginning where different characters from different eras of the comics that were going around at that time came to this one character who, like, in a, in a vision, like, Darth Vader was there, and other characters from these different comic stories. But I'm not necessarily sure that counts as a time travel thing, since I haven't read the whole story arc to know for sure, but yeah, I'm always curious sometimes, like, what would a Star Wars star- time travel story be like? <laughs> I mean, it could be cool, and it could be messed up certain things that it's best left untouched. Well, one thing I did want to mention about uh, Teen Titans real quick, now that I've spent so long on it, <laughs> uh, a cool moment in uh, the annuals when they're in the destroyed uh, Batcave, uh, Superboy ends up making a comment, what's so special about this Batman anyway? And uh, uh, Tim says, you know, he was, he is and was a father to all of us. And so I thought that was a nice touch, that there's... Uh, all of the, you can see Nightwing's stick and um, what appears to be Stephanie Brown's uh, spoiler costume uh, laying on the ground. It's uh, a, a definite hooded uh, thing there. It's not Damien, so I, I kind of have wondered it was Stephanie in this time stream, so just kind of wanted to point that out, too, since we did get a little bit of announcement of Stephanie Brown coming back, so. They're already planting the seeds for her return. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so I can take us into the Nightwing annual number one. I was kind of surprised that this was the first Nightwing annual. I thought it was expecting it to be number two, but that's yeah. they never came out with one last year. Now, this one, it's kind of a filler story. Like, it doesn't really tie into any of the main storyline that was going on with Dick in Chicago, but I actually enjoyed this issue. I mean, it's nothing that's groundbreaking or going to be remembered for a long time, but it was just a good, enjoyable read to me. And the main villain for this is Firefly, who's getting his new 52 debut. And I kind of like what Kyle Higgins did with him here, because he took part of his origin that I'm familiar with the most, which is from the animated series. I don't know if you remember the episode of Torch Song, where he pretty much goes after his uh, girlfriend, who's a pop singer. He's like her pyrotechnician who does all the fire effects at her concert. She fires him and then goes after her for revenge. And this story is kind of the same thing, but except his old girlfriend, or not even his girlfriend, but someone he worked with was an actress. And then he's murdering all these different people that's involved with her, like her casting agents, different directors, producers, and stuff like that. But then um, Dick and Barbara, Dick's getting prepared to move to Chicago. So I guess this takes place before that whole thing. But Barbara's still going through 
uh, being on the run from her dad with the death of her brother and all that. So we kind of get a parallel in this story arc where Bruce and Bar or Bruce <laughs> Dick and Barbara <laughs> are kind of questioning themselves on where are they at with their relationship. They kind of made the point how just the timing never worked out right with us to pursue this to make it go any farther than what it already has. And they kind of come to the realization that, you know what, the timing is never going to be perfect with the lives that we have. So maybe we should just go for it and try to make this work. And then you kind of get the parallel with that and this actress girl who Firefly is going after. And the big twist, which I have to say I didn't see coming till the very end, was that at the beginning of this issue we see Firefly um, murder someone who was involved with this actress. It was her old boyfriend. Um, I believe his name was uh, Ted I want to say Ted Cord, but I know that's the Blue Beetle, but it's kind of similar to that. We'll just call him Ted. So you see him murder Ted in the beginning. It is Ted. Yeah. Okay. His last name, I, I think it sounds familiar to Cord, but it's not. That's what I'm okay. like, you know, but, um So it gets revealed that that guy Ted didn't actually die. He actually was Firefly. And this whole time, they mentioned Firefly as being Garfield Lentz. He was, like, the pyrotechnician for her movies and all that. So... I didn't really see that coming until I, there was a list that Barbara and Dick discover that had, like, names crossed off of the people Fireflies murdered. And Garfield Limbs was crossed out on that list. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why would his name be on there? And then when we got the reveal, it kind of all made sense. But it was a reveal I didn't see coming and it kind of took me by surprise, which I thought was pretty cool. And I also like Fireflies' costume design. The helmet's really cool, and he's all he's pretty much in flames throughout his whole time he's in that costume, which has a pretty cool effect to his uh, costume design. So, of course, he gets defeated by Night, Nightwing and Barbara. And then they kind of, Dick kind of says at the end that maybe they should pursue themselves, the relationship together. But then Barbara just says, maybe we can talk tomorrow. Like, this isn't really the best time to talk about it. And Dick says, yeah, sure. But we get later revealed that Dick's already left for Chicago and she calls him on the phone, kind of saying, yeah, this probably isn't the best time to pursue this but you know we'll always care for each other then we get this nice flashback sequence of one of their appearances or nights out together as Batgirl and Robin and just Dick having this lighthearted attitude and kind of building the start of their romantic relationship I guess and it it starts with this picture that Dick took of that night with them in costume and how we still hold on to it so I thought that was a nice way to end the issue so overall I really liked it my only complaints was that um, I didn't like how Dick and Barbara's detective skills were portrayed in this story because when they looked at the name Garfield Lynn's being crossed off, they didn't piece that together to the very end when they, they find out that uh, Firefly probably isn't who they think it is once they find out he captured uh, that, his girlfriend. And then also, too, when they go to his last place on the list, was like a charity dinner event. And it took him forever to realize that, oh, this is just a distraction so all the police can be away from that girl. And I thought, you know what, they're better detectives than that. They should have realized that from the start or at least not send every cop away who was protecting her to this event. So stuff like that I thought could have been written a little better. And is it me or is I just finding it a hard time that nobody suspects that Barbara is in this ninja outfit that they can't put two and two together that that's bad girl? <laughs> Because how many red-headed crime fighters are out there and Batgirl hasn't been seen for a while? <laughs> yeah, and also her uh, first appearance costume isn't much of a mask at all. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Um, I know it's suspension of disbelief and, you know. Yeah, so certain little things like that just popped in my head while I was reading it. Well, that could have been done a little differently. But overall, it's a solid issue. I enjoyed reading it. So I'm going to give it three out of five tries it took me to beat Deathstroke in Batman Arkham Origins. Yeah, I think you pointed out all the things that I really liked. I, I like the parallels of the relationship, the whole, you know, it's just not the right time. And, and that kind of makes you... It kind of even made me look at, you know, my own life or, you know, just the things that I always say, oh, I'll do that later or no, now's not the right time. And how many times have you said that's not the right time and that thing that you said you wanted to do never actually got done because there was always something else that was getting in the way. And that was kind of the point the two of them were trying to make that if it's ever going to work, they've just got to do it now and that... I almost got the impression from Dick that he just made the choice to leave rather than to try to, to try it himself. Yeah. That maybe the the fruit that's unattainable is better left unattainable because if we go down this road and it doesn't work out, you know, what's that going to do to their relationship? So um, it, I don't know if it was drawn this way on purpose, but I almost got the feeling when Barbara goes into Dick's empty apartment that she knew that he wasn't going to be there. That Just just the look on her face, I, I hope it was done intentionally, but they was just drawn really nice, really beautiful, that she just had this look of that she wasn't surprised that he had already had left. So I, just, I thought that was really good. It was, it was an, refreshing to have a, a one-and-done story, that this, it's kind of continued, it's got the tag on the front, um, a what Bar- a Batgirl wanted to tie in, yeah. Um, and it does make they make reference to you know we've had the owls, we've had Zuko, and we've had the Joker, you know, kind of on there. So it kind of ties and brings a few things together. But you could totally read this as its own separate in- issue without having to need a whole lot of other history. So I thought it was nice and. Just that little moment of Batgirl and Robin fighting, I thought was nice to see their new 52 and just the playful Dick Grayson that he should be. Yeah, I totally agree. Also, too, you're kind of expecting it. It's one of those stories where you would think, oh, you just want to read it for the Dick and Barbara stuff and just get whatever crime they're trying to solve over with. But I was actually intrigued with the whole Firefly mystery, too, so it wasn't just a throwaway story that you didn't really care about. So it kind of all worked together pretty nicely, I thought. And it's good that they're just finally tackling, like, Dick and Barbara's relationship, too, because I always liked the relationship that they had together. and was kind of hinted at in some of the issues, but never really uh, dwelled upon or kind of expanded at all. So glad that it's finally being tackled a bit here. But it looks like it's not going to progress too much further, at least in the near future. No. Um, I don't think I rated this. I think I will also give this three out of uh, five times that I tried to beat Deathstroke and failed. <laughs> We're in agreement with there, that one. But if only if it did take us just three, ty- three, <laughs> three tries to beat Destro. <laughs> um, maybe add a zero onto that. 30 yeah. tries. <laughs> Man, I can't talk to that. I'm fumbling all my words. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. I, Terrence and Dana are going to listen to this going, Man, these guys cannot speak tonight. <laughs> Drunk or something? <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right, so that'll take us to our final book for this episode. Damien, Son of Batman. So, curious to hear what you thought of this one, Rob. So, what'd you think? I've been eagerly awaiting this. I thought it was one of those that once they killed Damien off, we weren't going to uh, 
get any type of a Damien story other than a flashback. So it's nice that we're getting a uh, four-issue miniseries, and you know, sometimes with DC, a miniseries may turn into something else, although it does have the tag, the new 52, up on the top. So um, it is an elsewhere for those people that don't know it, or a, an alternate universe would be the Batman 666 universe, or the Batman and Son era that was written by Grant Morrison and drawn by Andy Kubrick, but uh, Andy does both the art and story in this, so I was kind of... I'm not aware of him writing anything else. I'm probably sure he has, but I haven't read anything that he's written. If I have, I didn't notice it, as intelligent as that sentence was. Um, This basically kind of starts right around the uh, middle section of the 666 where uh, Batman is killed and uh, Damien has to move on and become uh, his version of Batman. And it kind of has a, a, a laughing fish uh, opening with the uh, Joker, though the Joker's not seen uh this almost has an opening of something that could come out of an Aquaman comic with having, yeah. a, whole bunch of, having a whole bunch of bodies and uh, dead fish all over. Um, everybody's just in this one massive pile, and uh, Bruce is kind of giving Damien the what for. He's really not taking this uh, really seriously, kind of making his jokes, or just uh, really being kind of the jerk that Damien is <laughs> half the time. Uh, even makes one joke uh, at Tim's expense, pulls up a fish and sees this face and says, oh, like, oh my gosh, it's Tim. It's like, nope, it's uglier than Tim. It's not Tim, you know. <laughs> no, it actually t- wasn't a fish. It was a dead body. Yeah, a, a dead body. Yeah, pulls up the uh, fish and reveals a, a body, and you kind of see that the Damien uh, probably knows it's not Tim but likes to still jab at Tim, and that's something I always liked, that Tim and Damien did not get along. Um, but Damien hears something, hears uh, something go off, and it's a Joker fish exploding, and it kills Batman. And kind of get the uh, reverse of uh, Robin holding the lifeless body of uh, Batman in his arms. We go through uh, a funeral for Batman, and uh, Damien ends up making a trip to go see his grandfather, Rachel Ghoul and his mother, and is basically uh, asking uh, for help. And uh, Talia ends up kind of... You get a kind of a recap of uh, Damien's uh, origin, which is uh, basically the same, that he was... Uh, Bruce and Talia have uh, one special night together, and so nothing would happen to uh, Damien. He is artificially um, made and uh, trained... Uh, does have an incident with, um, I think, being impaled and has to go uh, have like some reconstructive stuff done to him. Decides to be with his father and basically, uh, Rachel Ghoul is telling Damien that you know this is the choice that you made and we're basically sorry for uh, Batman dying, but you are the rightful heir 
to uh, become Batman, so the League of Assassins is really going to have nothing to do with you. You need to take up the mantle and become Batman. And Damien really wants nothing to do with it and goes back to Gotham City and basically tracks down all of the major villains and Mr. Freeze, um, Jack and Apes, which really kind of made me look back at that <laughs> villain issue with the Joker <laughs> and, and hate it again, but uh, Killer Croc and Mr. Freeze... And Damien is basically going around and killing the, uh, or Robin is going around and killing uh, a lot of uh, Batman's major villains and is going into uh, a priest and kind of uh, confessing of his sins and saying, you know, I'm doing a thing that should have been done. Father was basically just uh, chasing his tail. He was catching the criminals, putting them back in Arkham, and then they would eventually get out. If they were just put down, they wouldn't be committing all these acts that he's not killing out there to just be killing. He's doing a thing that needs to be done to keep uh, Gotham in control. Uh, it kind of jumps to uh, Alfred and Damien kind of having a little bit of conversation in Wayne Manor that uh, Bruce wouldn't approve of Damien's methods, and Damien is basically telling Alfred, my methods are getting the job done, and you know maybe I, I won't have to do this. Uh, Damien decides he's going to go out and bust some more heads, goes... Uh, to suit up in his Robin costume, gets ready to get in the Bat Cycle, the Bat Cycle, and who walks into the Bat Cave? Bruce Wayne. And that's where the issue ends. Or is it? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, um, I, I liked this. Um, I, I was a little leery at first if Andy Kubert being a co-creator of, uh, Damien, and he's drawn uh, as far as Robin is, the way he was depicted in the Batman Son, where he's kind of pieced together parts of uh, like Jason Todd's tunic, his uh, normal uh, tights that he was wearing that were black and white, but they've uh, changed the white to green, and looks like he's wearing a uh, maybe Jason's uh, yellow cape, but with a yellow hood. So I kind of like it that they are keeping it in that universe and. Um, I wasn't expecting Batman to die, you know, really early, and I thought maybe we would get kind of uh, one full issue with Batman and Robin working together, but it's it's a nice launching point to push Damien down the road uh, to become Batman, so I'm kind of uh, kind of curious to where the story's going to go, only having uh, four issues. Um, it, this sounds like this is something that uh, Andy Kubert was working on before the New 52 started, and just kind of took his time uh, piecing it together, knowing that it was going to be just its own standalone piece. So I, I really enjoyed this. I was, I was hoping it was going to be good, and it was actually better than I thought it was going to be, or was better than I expected it to be. Not that I thought it was going to be horrible, but it kind of exceeded my expectations. So I'm going to give this four out of five tries that I tried to beat Deathstroke until I eventually got it. Yeah, for this one, i got to say I'm going to be a little more negative towards it. <laughs> I was okay. a little disappointed with this one. I was looking forward to this issue, seeing what made Damien become the Batman that he was in the 666 timeline. And I have to say, right off the bat, uh, I was not happy with the way Batman went out <laughs> in this story. No. Like, really? He got killed by an exploding fish that he couldn't see coming, but Damien did? I was yeah. like, come on. I mean, we'll see where it goes with it, because it gives you the impression that he's still alive with the last page of this issue. But 
just overall that whole sequence, it just, I didn't really like how Andy Kubrick uh, was writing Damien. This made him go back to that really annoying bratty character that <laughs> you really didn't like when he first appeared in the Batman and Son storyline. I know you said you like the the fact that Tim and Damien don't get along. They kind of poke fun at each other. And I like that too, but I thought what he said here was a little out of place. I don't know, something a little too extreme, even for Damien, I thought, comparing a dead body to Tim. And yeah, so that didn't get off to a great start there for me. And then the whole thing was Damien going after all these villains. I like the fact that he, his Batman's killing, and that sets him different from Bruce. And we kind of know that already, because he was a real violent Batman in the stories we've seen him in previously. But I just kept thinking to myself, he knew it was the Joker fish that killed Batman. Why isn't he going after the Joker first? He's going after all these villains. What's keeping him from going against the Joker? And why does he... I guess I can see why he goes to Italian Ra's al Ghul. They are his family, and I guess he'd want their network of assassins and different connections, I guess, to help him in his crusade. But I just figured he... I think it would be someone who would want to do it himself without anyone's help. And then I was kind of confused about the confession scene. Who was the priest? Is that supposed to be Bruce after the end when he reveals that he's there? Or is it somebody else? Like, cause to me, it kind of looks like Commissioner Gordon in certain that's, shots. <laughs> that's what I thought, too. I didn't know if I was missing something. I actually read uh, Batman and Son before reading this and then kind of reading some 666 stuff uh, to just kind of get reacclimated with the universe. And it did put me off a little bit, like you said, with Damien kind of reverting back to the brat that he was, but that's actually in character with how he was written, so I guess I was a little more forgiving with that. Yeah, and I can see that. Like you said, too, I have heard that this was written before the New 52 started, and maybe Andy Kubert was getting this all together early on with Grant Morrison's run on uh, what's what his work on Damien before he really got to the point where he wasn't such a bratty kid anymore. So maybe you can't really fault him too much for that, but it was just something where, I, yeah, I didn't really like that version of Damien, and this is why it kind of brought all those feelings back out. Yeah. And then at the end, too, with Bruce, is that something that's just in his head, he's kind of seeing a vision, so to speak. But then I thought, oh, wait, is that him as a priest then? So I don't know what the heck's going on with that. <laughs> but yeah. And what's with the cat, too? <laughs> that black uh, black and white cat. Was that one of the cats Damien had in Batman Incorporated? I was trying to think, because he had a lot of animal pets <laughs> in that story. Yeah, and also in that timeline, I think Alfred is gone, so the cat is actually called Alfred, so... I think that's actually Alfred the Cat. Okay. I knew it had to be there for some reason, but for yeah. some, I just couldn't remember what it was. So, yeah, pretty much I like the concept of the story of what Damien's doing, how he's becoming Batman. But through the certain aspects of the story, I just didn't like the way Batman died, the way Damien was written. And then if they're going to kill Batman off and that sets, him, that sets Damien off on this journey he has to take for himself, don't bring Bruce back right away <laughs> in the first issue. I'm kind of hoping it's just a vision or... Somehow it ties all together when it's the story's over, but I just kind of want to see where Damien's going on this quest for himself to avenge his father and to become his own version of Batman. Now, now one thing that is different uh, between this and the original 6-6, that it was... I, I just read it, so I hope I'm saying this right. I think Batman was gunned down, not blown up. So I'm kind of curious... Uh, 
why why that change was, or if he decided, oh, I, I would have done this, but Grant Morrison wanted to do that, so maybe this was his take on it. But if I remember correctly, that uh, Batman was shot by the Joker as opposed to being blown up by the Joker. So I guess he was thinking, you know, I'll oh, blow him up, that's better. I would have thought this is something Batman definitely would have been able to figure out and go, hey, this thing's got a, you know, bomb on it. Damien would have blown up first, <laughs> yeah. not Batman, but... So we'll we'll see how it is. And to me, that'd be stupid if Bruce really does come back and then he just ends up getting killed again in the next issue. Like, what's the point of that? <laughs> right. So yeah, overall, I wasn't too keen on it. I'm definitely gonna get the next issue to see where it goes. I'm hoping this like story goes in a better direction. But the art was fantastic on it. I love Andy Kubert's art, especially yeah. in the beginning with with the Batman and Damien's designs. I really like how he drew. Uh, they're pretty much their costume designs look really great with the style that he drew them in. I know we've talked about this uh, with some of the books that, that are being printed on different paper. Um, yeah, th- this paper feels like paper from old comics. They have yeah. that real <laughs> that real gritty feel to it, but a nice glossy cover. So I, I I liked it for that too. That it this kind of felt like it was something special. May not have been overly special, but I I really liked it. I don't know if it was just hey, there's a Robin book again. So. <laughs> But I, I have high hopes for it, so I think I was a little bit more forgiving than you were. But um, how would you rate this one? Yeah, I'm going to go get a, go ahead and give it two and a half out of five tries it took me to beat Deathstroke in Batman Arkham Origins. So I beat him fairly quickly with this title. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, since we're on the, sort of the topic of Rachel Ghoul and the League of Assassins and all that, have you been watching Arrow? Uh, yes. Um, we're, there's one episode left that we have yet to watch. I'll probably watch it. Uh, Probably tomorrow, actually. Okay, cool. So you heard the big name drop in the previous Yes. <laughs> yep. I wasn't expecting that to happen, but what it did was like, oh, man, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like they're opening up a lot of doors. I mean, they're yeah. bringing the Flash, Black Canary's coming in. Um, there was a picture just recently leaked of Arrow wearing an actual mask instead of paint. Yeah, which, which I can't wait that, for because I always thought that was stupid. <laughs> the yeah, paint. that... That makes me really happy. And then if he didn't want to have the hood, he could have his hood off. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying the Arrow show. So and and that makes me think, okay, maybe we could get a Bloodhaven. Maybe we get a Dick Grayson somewhere. Yeah, they've have mentioned Bloodhaven in the past. Well, it would be nice yeah. to actually have it tie in with Dick Grayson somehow. That'd be cool. Yeah, but yeah, the season's been really good. I just love how they're tying this. The League of Assassins are tying in with the Black Canary and that whole thing. Now, isn't Arrow also getting another Batman villain other than Raish? Um, I uh, want to. I want to. Uh, Firefly has been in. Yeah. Or Garfield Lens and then Dollmaker was in last week. Right. I, th- I thought there was somebody. I've, big. I've heard rumors of KG KGB. How do you? Beast. Yeah. K, K, KG Beast. Yeah. See again. I, I can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe our rating scale should have been uh, times Tim and uh, Rob couldn't talk in this episode. <laughs> it's way too much. Tell you what, we'll give bonus points to anybody that can go back through. Every time that we're tongue-tied, uh, keep track, and we'll give you a prize if you can guess the right number. Yeah, but yeah. that means we that means we have to listen to it and count. <laughs> we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do that. We'll for it. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say it's the DC comic fan in general, even... Just if you're just a Batman fan, I think Arrow's definitely worth watching. I, I enjoyed the first season a lot, and then this season so far, I've enjoyed every episode. And the fact that they're bringing Batman stuff into it just makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. 
But then it kind of makes you a little disappointed where, but you know you're never going to get Bruce Wayne in this, <laughs> which is disappointing when you hear like, Rachel Ghoul and other, some other villains. Right. Uh, with mentioning <coughs> racial villains, the last thing <coughs> we didn't talk about, uh, it was in my collector's edition. Uh, did you watch Forever Evil? Yeah, or? I did. I, I got that the same day. I didn't get the collector's edition, okay. but I got the Blu-ray. Cool. Did you Did you like that? Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I mean, nothing news revealed in there, but I just love hearing right. the different comic writers talk about these characters. This is really cool. Cool. Did you see it yet? Yeah, okay. um, I actually just finished it up with the day I got the collector's edition. I got home, you know, reviewed the collector's edition, put a pizza in, and then ate uh, my pizza while I watched it. And then I was done eating before the movie was uh, over, so I stopped it and started playing the game. And I realized tonight that I didn't finish it. <laughs> so, so I actually went back and uh, finished the last half of it. And uh, I just finished it up right before the uh, podcast and before actually I was playing Arkham a little bit. Cool, but, yeah. It doesn't hurt to that Count Dooku and Starman is narrating it. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was very, very cool. Yeah, so I, I think that's definitely worth checking out. But with that, that's going to do it for episode 42 of the Batman to the Pants podcast. Hope you enjoyed it as we went down memory lane talking about the Batman video games, which I thought was fun. I mean, like I said, it just brought back good memories of playing those games. I want to play that Super Nintendo game all over again after Arkham Origins. <laughs> yeah. Can that be an unlockable after you beat the game? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> so if you've got any of the old systems, uh, give it a uh, dust off. If you've got any of these uh, treasures, uh, go down memory lane. I think uh, some of the ones we mentioned, you'll. I was surprised that some of these were as good as I remembered them. Yeah. So every time you hear the Batman games, Batman has no good games before the Arkham ones. Don't believe it. There's some plenty, plenty of good ones to choose from in the past, but getting your hands on them will probably be the hard part now. <laughs> right. Yeah, so with that, don't forget to check out our host site, The Batman Universe, at thebatmanuniverse.net. And also, don't forget to check out our sponsor, which is com. Once again, you can go to the website and enter the promo code TBUSAVES, and you'll see 33% off your entire, your entire order. See, there's another count for our tongue-tied. <laughs> 33% off your entire order with free worldwide shipping. And also, you can check out The Batman Universe on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebatmanuniverse and on Twitter with the Twitter handle at batmanuniverse. If you want, you can follow each of us on Twitter. I'm at timg311. Rob, you're at drummerrob10. Terrence is at iod1974. And Dane is at danesaysbanana. And also check us out on iTunes where you can leave us a review. You can also check out all the other Batman Universe podcasts on there. And then if you want, you can send us an email. Uh, at the email address is batfans27 at gmail.com. Give us any feedback, give us some discussion topics, and anything in general, really. As you know, we go on random discussions about anything. So <laughs> any topic you want to maybe hear us talk about, just go ahead and send it in. And then also you can check out our Facebook page at batfans at facebook.com slash batfanspodcast. So I think that covers everything. So with that, we'll say goodbye. See ya. Cool. Um, I've got an idea for the uh, picture. Um, I've got a lot of the video games. Um, I'll take a picture of all my NES games, Sega, and all that stuff. And I don't know how you guys remember. Right? Send it with Dustin.